You are listening to a bonus episode of the Ashley and Jessica cast. I started this podcast because of my love for two of the most interesting pop stars of my time, Jessica and Ashley Simpson. But due to the overwhelming support of my amazing listeners, I have decided to expand to other pop culture topics as well. I'm going to cover any and everything that I am inspired to talk about in the world of entertainment that I have been obsessed with since birth. Music, movies, TV, theater, celebrity relationships. You're going to hear it all on the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. And today we have another bonus episode. We are going to be paying tribute to my all time favorite film franchise. Scream in honor of the fifth movie coming out. And I really could not think of anyone better to do this with than one of my best friends since we were nine years old. We have been obsessing over all of these movies basically since then. You're going to learn a lot of embarrassing things about me today. Please welcome my BBFFAEAE, Gina. Hi, it's Gina. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. So please tell everyone how great I have been since um, I was nine. You are like the most amazing person I've ever met. And um, like, I wish I could be like you every day. Um, But no, I mean, yes, but in seriousness, you are like so cool. And I'm (laughs) so no, really, like, I'm very proud of you and everything that you are doing with your career. And I'm just so proud of you. And I love having you as my best friend. Oh, Thank you. I was like joking. Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't. But that was the best thing I've ever heard. So as you can see, this is why I keep Gina around. Um, Also, hype you up all the time. Yeah. But also, she is the best in a million ways. And I have not been friends with anybody else this long. And I never will be because time moves forward. So (laughs) Um, (laughs) wow, that was deep. I know. I know. I just change lives here talking about Ashley's bangs and other things. Oh, oh, bangs. Oh and, gosh. I know. And you know what's so funny? I was thinking about this when we were setting up the audio is because the time that we talk about with Ashley and Jessica, the the most time that we talk about is like 2004. So I'm always talking about something that happened and I'm always telling people these stories and they have no idea what I'm going to say and you know all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I need to listen to your podcast. You actually did know about Scream before me, right? Like you had the tape. Um, I did. I don't remember when I saw it. Um, I definitely – I think we were definitely already friends because I didn't see it when it came out, obviously. My sister had the VHS and I stole it from her room and I saw it, I don't know, maybe in like fifth or sixth, maybe like sixth grade, I want to say. Do you remember the first time that you watched the first one? I don't. Well, I remember the first time I watched the first one because it had been built up so much and my mom used to let me watch so many bad movies. Like speaking of Nev Campbell, my mom me and my cousin all watched Wild Things together, which is oh. like the most inappropriate thing I could think of to watch with your mom. <laughs> and I remember my mom, like now I have since seen it, but like my mom made me close my eyes during the threesome scene. 
and oh, that's so, helpful i know i was like i can hear um <laughs> but i don't know if people remember actually how at the time people thought scream was so scary and so bloody and stuff that i think my mom just heard that it was really bad and then finally i rented it when i was 12 and I had seen like bits and pieces of it on TV because I was always watching tons of movies on TV. My mom got for me a blockbuster hmm. and I loved it so much that I literally remember everything about that night. Like I remember the candle that my mom had lit in the living room. And every time I smell a candle like that, it was one of those fresh linen clothing line candles. <laughs> I was in the best mood because I was like, I love this movie so much. I felt like I was like meeting a friend or something that I would be best friends with forever. It, I got it so so completely like it was just as much as I love movies I so rarely have that experience where I was like it's like this movie is what I would make if I made a movie but I wouldn't be able to do that because I'm not that talented to like do this <laughs> but it was just such a core memory that every time I if I'm in a store and I smell a candle like that I'm it's just like boom okay I have a similar story but you're gonna think well I'm gonna I was gonna say you're gonna think I'm weird but you know I'm weird <laughs> My story is I had these like these votives or something that I think like Kelly made me and they I don't know what they smelled like, but they had a, a scent and it was a good scent. And I got really obsessed with the Amityville murders. I've never seen either of the Amityville movies or I don't know how many there are now, but like the original or the remake, I never saw them. And actually, I think this was before the remake came out. But I got obsessed with the murders because I I do that. I like true crime. And so anytime I smell a candle that smells like that, it reminds me of like, hey, that's the time that we were, we, we meaning me, myself and I were obsessed with <laughs> Amityville. <laughs> I know. It's funny. I'm like, well, I have so many memories with me. Yeah, I know. I do too. <laughs> They're the best ones. Yeah. And I don't remember, I, I guess it was like seventh grade that you and I started watching them together yeah all the time I remember when I rented Scream 2 I was like I can't believe there's another one of these <laughs> I was like I can't believe I get to have another movie like this that exists I was so excited watching it and by the way there's going to be spoilers in this episode for all four of the Scream movies okay <laughs> Time. The last one came out 10 years ago. If you haven't seen it yet, we're not waiting for you. <laughs> we haven't seen the fifth one yet, so there will be no spoilers for Scream 5. As much as I would love everybody to listen, if you haven't seen the Scream movies and you're – unless you're one of those people that just like flat out cannot watch heart, just – Go watch them because they're so good. And I really don't want you to learn who the killers are from this podcast. It's one of my favorite elements of the movies is the whodunit aspect of there's somebody in a mask. You don't know who it is. And the reveals at the end of all the movies are so good. That was one of the things that I was thinking going into Scream 2. I was like, I can't believe that like once again I get to try to figure this out, which I didn't figure it out. I guess I just want to get into like, what do you think is so special about Scream as a whole? They're just very unique horror movies. Like what I love about them all together is like the, not accuracy. I wrote it down. Hold on a second. Gina has five pages of notes. <laughs> I wrote a really good word. Hold on. Which is everything. Continuity and how they all kind of, I don't want to say borrow from each other, but they 
they use, I mean, obviously they have to use stuff from the first movie and the second movie and the second movie and the third movie, but just how they all tie together, especially Scream 3, how it ties into Scream Scream 1, into the first Scream. And um, even like the end of Scream 4, like the climax is so reminiscent of the first movie. It's just like a nice throwback. You're just like, oh, remember the first one? Remember all those dead people and all those people <laughs> we loved? And, you know, I just like how they tie into each other so well. It's not like you don't have to treat them as a separate entity. They're they're very much like tied into each other. And I really like that because it makes you think of all the good times. <laughs> yeah. They're very self-referential. So yes. it's, it's not just that the first movie references all of these other horror movies and the fact that they're they're like, oh, we're in a horror movie right now. And, it, and if we were – if we were in a horror movie, this is what would happen or this is what people are always doing and we're going to do something else or like, don't be stupid, don't do this or whatever. But then the following movies are self-referential to each movie that came before and all the movies that came before. So it's so interesting because it just gets more and more meta every time. I was going to say that, especially with Stab, especially when all the Stabs start coming out. And not only are they referencing their own movie in the movie, but they're referencing the movie that they made about the movie in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they're also putting in Easter eggs that no one ever even mentions and you just have to kind of find them. Yeah, you just have to like know. Yeah, and there's so many. If you guys are interested in this, there's a million videos on YouTube of, you know, stands like us dissecting every moment of the movie and zooming in and being like, is that, you know, an old Wes Craven poster in the back? Like it's mm – -hmm. It's truly, there's no other horror movies that are, I think, so universal. Like, I know a lot of people that are not really horror fans, but they love Scream because they're genuinely great movies. And they're not just pumping out one every couple of years like they did with Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, they're not money grabs. Each one is very calculated and smart yes. and builds on the concept in a really really genius way I know that I'm obsessed with them so I get it I'm kind of biased but I also feel like that also makes me a really hard judge because I love them so much and I could easily go into this fifth one and watch it and be like oh they didn't they didn't get it right but apparently all the reviews are so freaking good that oh, I'm, I'm getting so excited <laughs> I know I'm like crawling out of my skin <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming you're going to see it on friday no i'm seeing it tomorrow bitch tomorrow yeah it's at 8 p.m after the movie they're gonna have a live stream with david arquette and i see that i just googled it <laughs> yeah yeah that's so that's what i'm doing so i'm really excited we just finished scream four and i like to watch the credits all the way through and at the at the bottom at the end it said 2011 and you know my memory is crap Obviously, I know it came out in 2011 if I really think about it, because that's when you came to Indiana to see it with me. But I'm just 2011. Like, that's the last time a Scream movie came out. Like, that no. was 11 years ago. How old are we? <laughs> I know. And there's not all these other. I mean, there is the Scream TV show from MTV, which I have never watched. Oh. But <clears throat> no, <laughs> <laughs> but there's not a ton of different versions of it coming out and stuff like with Halloween you have and I love that I love the Halloween franchise but to me that's like a true horror franchise where like some of the movies are awesome some of them are not even watchable some of them are horrible but still fun to watch some of them are so far from the original concept that you're like how do you even call this a Halloween movie mm -hmm. Scream doesn't have those extensions or other remakes or whatever it's it feels very much like a real movie series and not 
just this thing where they're like, all right, get your popcorn, see some people get cut up and whatever. And that's fine. Like there's a place in the world for that type of movie. Like I watch those types of movies too, but this is better. Like when people try to compare the Scream franchise, like what's better, Scream or Friday the 13th? I'm like, there's no contest. Whoa, whoa. That's some shade right there. (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's facts. So the first movie, obviously, beyond iconic, there's a lot of people who don't even like the sequels, but basically everybody thinks that Scream is a masterpiece and one of the best movies of the 90s, one of the best horror movies ever made. It's definitely my favorite horror movie ever, ever made. I mean, is it your favorite horror movie? I was going to ask you, actually, because i that was the second thing I wrote was, what is Leah's number one favorite scary movie? I feel like there's different categories, because if you say that Scream is your favorite, it's not like you watch Scream to scare yourself. Right. You know, you watch it for entertainment and for, you know, Matthew Lillard, obviously. But <laughs> I was thinking about what's my what's my favorite scary movie, and I would probably say... I would like to say Happy Death Day, but that's not a scary movie, really. Like, if you watch it once, you're not scared by it anymore. Well, there's a difference, you're right, between a horror movie, which Scream is a horror movie because it's in that genre, and a movie that actually really scares you. Mm. I have to say, Scream is the movie I have watched the most times in my life. And people listening to this will not know the gravity of that statement, but like, <laughs> you, you understand that like, for me to say that, because I've watched thousands of movies and I've watched many of them dozens of times, so... But this really is the one I have watched the most times. And I have to say, still to this day, and this goes for some parts of the sequels as well, but still to this day, this movie, especially the opening sequence, which I think is one of the best, I think it's like 13 minutes uh, ever made in cinema, Mm -hmm. I still watch it and I'm like, holy fuck. Imagine if this was happening to you because Drew is so (laughs) good. She's so good. She sells this performance so much. I know there's been some brutal deaths, you know, like obviously Tatum and in the fourth one, Olivia is like so disgusting and bloody and stuff. I still think this is like the worst death in the whole franchise like the most traumatic and still and I've like I said I have seen this dozens and dozens of times still when they show her hanging from the tree I'm like Mm -hmm. oh my god and when her her parents pick up the phone and they hear her dying it's so scary and sad and they sell it like they don't there's no like laugh even though this is a very much a satire of horror movies and there's so much comedy in these, which is another brilliant aspect of them. This sequence is serious and fucked up. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I wrote. (laughs) I wrote her mom listening to her die on the phone is so fucked. And I said, okay, but this scene really breaks my heart. And then I said, like, if you cry every time. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but I, but her mom has such a good scream. Like she has such a great reaction, obviously not like happy, great, but like impressive, like a very impressive horror movie scream reaction to her, to seeing her daughter strung up in a tree. She's just like, you know, face clutching, screaming bloody murder. Yeah. And it's not cheesy. Like it, she sells it. Great. And and it hurts you. It's, it's, you're like, oh my God, she just died. Like she was just murdered in cold blood. Like it was terrible. It's so effective. And it's funny because the, the shooting title for the movie was scary movie and they, they they didn't change it to scream until they were in post-production. So while they were shooting all of those screams, the movie was not called scream, which is funny because there's so many like really good screams. Yeah, there are definitely. I love when 
Drew is in or Casey is in the the hallway like in front of the front door and she screams I'm calling the police and the phone rings and she just screams yes like a reaction stream she's just like ah! <laughs> one of the things I love about horror in general is how most of them start out you know oh this is just a normal thing we're moving into a house like we're you know nice family moving into a house and slowly things get fucked up this movie has this brilliant opening and you can see how it goes from the phone rings and she thinks nothing of it like it's the phone ringing who cares and just a few minutes later the phone rings and it's the most terrifying thing that she can imagine at that time because she just wants them to be joking and stop calling her and leave her alone yeah it's funny to watch it now obviously they all are but you know it's I'm sure it's been talked about a lot just like the difference in technology having grown up in that time and having you know remembering what it was like to have that big giant like cordless phone Mm -hmm when her parents come home and then she picks up the phone to call the cops and she hears her and you're like, she can't call the cops because she's on the phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> And like VHS tapes and her TV and like, you know, just random stuff that to us, it, it looks totally normal. But to a kid watching it, who's like 15 right now, they're going to be like, oh, this is weird. Look at that ancient <laughs> phone. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think a 15 year old would realize also that in 1996, it wasn't scary because to think of someone calling you to kill you because people had to call you from another faraway location. <laughs> These yeah. guys have cell phones, but almost nobody had a cell phone. Even in like 2000, I feel like I didn't know anybody that had a cell phone. So like like my parents did not have them then. No, I think my sister got hers first, I want to say, because she went to college. But I think that was like 2001, maybe. Yeah, it wasn't normal. That's why in the in the later scene, the cop is like, what are you doing with a cellular telephone, son? Yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> it was really, really terrifying because it was a new thought, like a new idea that somebody could be calling you from right outside your house and they're ready to kill you. Like that was not even something that was a fear in people's minds because it was so the concept of someone being right outside of your house and calling you was so new yeah i had i wrote obviously billy equals Ghostface because he has a cell phone <laughs> <laughs> right literally he was and that's one thing that i think this franchise does really well is the red herrings i feel like most of them are pretty good yeah there's a few characters that you know are there just to fool you or whatever yeah but i think that all of the killers for me when they're revealed it feels very well thought out And there's some, like, when we get to Scream 3, I'll address that one, which is weird to me. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I feel like even if you – obviously, I would never hurt anybody. I don't have any desire to kill anybody except for Nick Lachey, JK. (laughs) I'm kidding. Please don't – please don't come after me. I have no interest I'm struggling to not mention politics right now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so I I would never hurt anybody, but I think you could – most of the killers, the way they are like manically talking about what their plans are, it makes sense to them. Like it makes sense to a murderer. It's not just a thoughtless plot contrivance. Yeah, really, I think one of the most, like you were talking about before, like the most unique things about this franchise is that everything they do is meaningful. Mm hmm. It's not just, you know, an offshoot for this, an offshoot for that. Like, yeah, this the Scream TV show was kind of like an exception to that. But they did everything with such thoughtfulness that it's just they're masterpieces. <laughs> they really 
really are. Do you have? Actually, I don't know your answer to this. Who is your favorite character? Let's say like in the first one. Say your favorite character is Dewey, for instance, based on him in this one, not his whole franchise performance, but like who's your favorite character from this movie if you just were to see this one? I honestly think I'm gonna say Randy. Aww. I love Randy. I can't tell you. I'll I'll so I'll show you pictures, but I can't tell you how many times I wrote "poor Randy" in these notes, <laughs> like so many times. He's just the perfect character. I loved him so much. He had like the unrequited love. He, you know, he felt like inferior to Billy and probably Stu and like. He was like the film geek or whatever, but he knew, he always knew what was going on. You know, he knew the rules. He knew, he always knew who the killers were before, you know, even if he didn't know, he knew who the killers were. <laughs> I don't know. I just love him. And I'm always sad that he's dead. <laughs> I know. I know. There's so much debate in like the Scream fan community. Some people are like, he had to die because it raised the stakes. And other people are like, no, it was a mistake. And I don't know. I mean, I guess like, it, it would be a stretch that four people have survived yeah. this many. You know what I mean? And you can't you can't lose Sydney, obviously. Yep. You can't lose Dewey or Gail because they're a couple and they're this amazing love story that goes throughout the movies, which most horror movies do not have. I mean, there's some scenes in Scream 2 that go fully into like a rom-com scene. Yeah. Which we'll get to, but yeah, they I think that's one of the best things about this franchise too. And even even just this first movie. The characters in this first movie are so good. Even if you don't like all of them, they're all so interesting. They all have distinct personalities. I feel like each the casting throughout the whole franchise is just insanely good and they all elevate their characters. Like if you read the script, Stu is not even first of all, his name is Stuart, as we were talking about <laughs> last night. So weird. He's like Billy's sidekick. He, there's not that much there, but because they hired Matt, it's like, okay, now you have this character that's completely elevated. And Tatum too. I feel like there's a lot of Tatum on the page, but what Rose McGowan brought to it, like this could have been her movie. Yeah. Easily you could have switched Sydney and Tatum and have Tatum be the final girl and the star and it would have been so good. I mean, obviously I love Sydney so much, but what I'm saying is like all the characters are so good that if any of them were put to the forefront and as like the star and it was from their perspective, it would still be really good. Yeah, even though there's so many characters and a lot of them are literally only in this movie for a little bit or like only in this movie and not the rest of them. There's so much character development just in this one movie. Yeah, you don't see Tatum ever again, but you can tell so much about her. And it's probably because of the actors and everything they brought to the role. Like, that's why we love them. We love Stu because it's Matthew Lillard. We love Randy because, you know, of how he played him, you know, like mm -hmm. they, they gave them depth that I'm sure was probably in the script, but like for the common person, you're not going to be like, oh, did they write that? Did they write this character like this in the script? You know, you're just right. going to be like, oh no, this character is great. They were, they were able to like give them, you know, at least a little bit of a backstory. So they're not like shallow, just you don't care if they die or whatever. I guess that's probably part of it is they gave them character development so that you feel bad when they die. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like for a lot of horror movies, they just need bodies to slash up and stuff. And again, like there's a place for that, but this is different. Like this movie is almost like a drama with horror elements mixed in. Mm -hmm. it also is very much a comedy like it still yes. makes me laugh and I know every as you know I have known every line of this movie since I was 12 so I was quoting it a little bit when I was watching it with Tierney and she was looking at me like 
oh my god (laughs) stop it i've gotten that look from many people we have a few questions and since we were talking about tatum i feel the need to bring uh this one up my friend derek asked Uh, it's not derek from scream 2 i was just gonna say poor (laughs) derek i i do have that in my notes poor derek i know i know um so it's do you want to try to crawl through a kitty door on a garage for fun no no i don't I saw an interview with Rose McGowan and she said, now I know I can fit through one of those. And I'm like, well, yep. not really, girl. No, you failed, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, I've, I've always been mad at her for doing that. Like, I understand that when you're panicking, you're like, how the hell do I get out of here? She was doing really well up until that point. You know, she was fighting like a badass and I love it. But like, it wasn't there like a shovel or something and you could have like beat the door open or I don't know. Maybe it just would have been better to get stabbed to death than like crushed in a freaking garage door. Well, actually, to be honest, I mean, she had a lot of terror in her death, but I feel like the way that they show it, once it like squishes her, she's out rather than bleeding out or something like that, which like that's why the the opening scene hurts to watch because that girl suffers, Mm -hmm. especially because everybody obviously loves Drew Barrymore and this was a big part like everybody knows this story you know how it was brilliant that she died first because she was the big star from the movie um besides courtney cox she was the one that everybody knew and people she was also on the poster so everybody was like oh this is a drew barrymore movie like there's no way they're gonna kill her off so everybody kind of got fooled into thinking that she was gonna survive and you know you're watching it and she manages to get away so many times and still to this day again i'm gonna say basically the same thing but for a different part when he finally grabs her and stabs her it's like shocking and i've seen it so many times but (laughs) every single time he finally gets her i'm like no, like she was so she just had to run a little faster and her parents just had to get there a little sooner and she would have lived yeah the one of the things that hits me watching this first one at least especially in casey's case is that they're obviously in california they're obviously well off because they have this beautiful crazy amazing house and everybody else does too but also they're all in the middle of nowhere Like, even though Mm -hmm. they have these big, crazy houses, they're very far away from, like, you know, civilization. So, like, who's the closest neighbor? Obviously, it's the Mackenzies. We know that. But how far away are they? Like, how far (laughs) do you have to run? Like, I kept getting mad at Sydney in the end because when she's at Stu's house, she goes back into the house. And I'm like, why are you going back in there? Like, I know your friends are in there and whatever, but, like, walk away. Go down the road. I don't care how far you have to go. Leave. But then I'm like, how far away is the closest neighbor? Where are the cops? Like, are the cops like 30 minutes away? Like, I don't yes. Know. Well, I don't know about what was in the script, but they're, they have been using Stu's house to promote this new movie because as we see in the trailer, the house is in the movie and they've been renting it out as an Airbnb. People have been doing promo stuff there. And I was listening to a podcast and they got to record it at Stu's house And they said, they were like, this house is actually in the middle of freaking nowhere. You can't go to the house unless you have like special permission or something. So that was very accurate to the movie because they were like stranded out there. So I don't know, like I agree with you on on some point, but then I'm like, it's hard to think if you were in there and I could like possibly save you somehow, like if you didn't know yet what was happening, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah, you'd go back in. Yeah, like she doesn't know that tatum is dead i would be thinking i could easily like sneak in the house get my friend and then 
we could leave together. And also there's like a selfish element of that too, because you don't want to be alone wandering out in the woods. Like nobody will even know what happened to you. So it's just all around, it's a bad situation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I agree. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of notes. I feel like we we skipped way ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have to talk about it in order, but Yeah, I just wanted to mention this note that I wrote, which was, I wrote it during the opening scene with Casey. I wrote, Kevin from Home Alone would be able to handle this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's relevant because Rory Culkin is in the fourth movie. It's all connected. Yeah, everything's connected. I've never thought of that before, but that is so funny. I've never thought of it before. Do you think Randy is your favorite character from the whole franchise? Like, if you had to pick... It's hard because he was only in two. It is hard. I mean, he technically was in three, but... Oh, duh. <laughs> how dare you? I don't know. I think maybe, yeah. I was. I think that his his role and his death kind of like hit me the hardest, like affected me the most. But Aww. I loved freaking Tatum so much. I loved how badass she was, you know, just in general, like always, but mm-hmm. while fighting Ghostface and, you know, and she stands up for her friends and whatever. And I loved the relationship that she and Dewey had. I love her carefree, like fun personality, even even like pairing with her clothes and like the way she does her hair. And you can tell that her and Sydney are true friends. Like they really feel like friends. You totally get the sense, especially when they're in her bedroom. They've been friends forever. Sydney's always over there. And Sydney's the more calm, reserved, vulnerable, sweet girl. And Tatum is the fiery, like maybe a little rebellious, a little edgier version of Sid. And I love how protective Tatum is of Sydney with Gail and reporters. Yeah, just she's just such a good friend. Like it really sucks. Like out of Sydney's best friends or whatever, anybody that is associated with Sydney, I feel like she does the best job better than Derek at protecting her, you know, like Tatum mm-hmm. is not taking any shit from anyone and it sucks that she had to die so quickly and it's yeah. ugh, it's horrible uh, when Sydney finds her like she doesn't even have a moment to like grieve, she just has to keep running. Yeah, well that happens a lot to Sydney, doesn't it? <laughs> She's always finding her friends dead somewhere. There should be an entire bonus feature, how does Sydney Prescott cope with life day to day? I thought about that. Like when um, two or three maybe was over, either Tierney or Tony was like, therapy. It's time for therapy. (laughs) Yeah. No, she's just going to go through the same thing over and over and over again. I love her character development, though. I really love that in Scream 2, they take the time to give her this whole arc of being an actress and performing. And there's the scene with David Warner her professor where he's mm-hmm. he's like you're a fighter like he, he really informs her character at that time things are so chaotic and he's like no you're gonna get on the stage and perform this is what you do and they could have completely cut that whole thing out and it, today I'm 100% sure it would not be in there but it's character development like it makes you care about her more because she's trying amidst all of this to do something unique and like be artistic be a person (laughs) yeah and then in the third one it makes sense that she's basically given up on that and she lives alone in the middle of nowhere she just literally just has her dad and dewey on speed dial and that's it like she doesn't seem to have friends and stuff and a lot of people say that's why she's having those nightmares of her mom is because she's isolated and she's not talking to people and she just talks to people that are like having traumatic experiences that they need help with all days yeah, of course she's going to have freaking like flashbacks or whatever hallucin- hallucinations of her mom because yeah. all she does is listen to people go through trauma all day long, every day. Yeah. Like, maybe at that point she's not 
actually equipped to be doing that. Oh, no way. Because she's still only like 21 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and this time. It's so funny that you said the speed dial thing because I saw the speed dial and I paused it. I was like, who's on speed dial? I got to know who she has on speed dial. <laughs> Yeah, I actually think that was a really brilliant idea for a job for her, though. Yeah, I mean, it was good because that was like work from home before work from home was a thing. <laughs> I wonder, because in the fourth one, they don't really get into like what she does, except obviously she wrote this book. So I don't know if she's just an author now or whatever, but maybe the fifth one will get more into like, what did she decide to do with her life? Actually, it's funny because one of the things I was going to say is, what does her father do? Do we ever know? Because I don't think we ever are told what he does, but how do they have that giant house? He's a single parent and they say he's always away on business, but where does he go? What does he yeah. do? <laughs> where does he go? That's a good point. I can't remember. I did read the script a long time ago, but I think in the script, it also just says he often travels for work. Like you're supposed to think he makes a lot of money that way. But the thing is, he doesn't look very like... Businessy. Yeah, like they don't make him look like he's has a briefcase and stuff. Yeah, he's very cash. He's extremely cash. And <laughs> maybe they have like a vineyard or something because it's like Northern California and there's all those wide empty fields wide and stuff open space <laughs> exactly like that i could see i actually would love to have had him be a bigger character maybe him be in scream 2 or um more in scream 3 or even 4 because obviously he went through so much too he was cheated on a lot and had to who knows if he knew what was going on with maureen and billy's dad and then cotton as well but he had to find out that his wife was brutally murdered and then also find out that she was having these affairs and everything. And then he gets trapped in a closet for two days because <laughs> he's wearing the same clothes yeah. from when we see him. So the whole time the whole movie's happening, he Stu has him in the house. Yes. I think about that every time. Like when I'm watching it, I'm like, is he in the closet? Is he in the closet he's now? The party. Yeah. He has to be right. Yeah. For the whole, he has to be for the whole party for sure. Oh, it's so upsetting to think about. And, and by the third one, I would have loved to have more, another scene with him or something. Cause how does he feel about his daughter's been stalked and almost killed so twice <laughs> and now it's about to happen for the third time and all, like i don't know it's just crazy but it, there's actually a scene cut out of scream 4 i totally forgot where dewey and gail are talking about they haven't seen sydney since the since neil's funeral so he's i don't know if it's like canon now that he is dead yeah i think it is because i actually googled it i was like what the heck happened to her dad and <laughs> I, you know at least the wiki pages or whatever say he died of a heart attack in between three and four and i was like that's a lame way to go yeah and that's like part of why she wrote her book they said i don't know where they got that information from but i don't know but yeah i would love to to hear more about her dad i think they could totally make like a prequel about maureen she has mm -hmm. a lot going on and like why she ended up the way she did and the whole cotton thing and cotton being framed and you know yeah. just all that stuff it's funny because when you when you watch scream when you watch scream and they talk about it all it doesn't sound like it was only a year ago because when you think mm -hmm. about a year ago that's not a long time and it, it seems like it was, you know, five or 10 years ago, but it, it was like just now, like it was so recent that her own boyfriend is the one that murdered her. Like, I mean, I you know. Know, her own boyfriend is the one that murdered her mom. And he's like, it's been a year. Mom's leave. Oh, like, God, I hate that part. <laughs> that is my least, probably one of my least favorite parts of any of the movies. Not just because, you know, not that it's like not, not that it's not a good scene, but it's just like, I get so mad. I'm like. 
if my mom was murdered 59 years ago, I would still not be over it. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And actually, I I honestly think that is kind of a bad scene because I I think they're both great actors, but their acting in that scene is so 90s melodrama (laughs) teen TV show, which I guess Nev Campbell was on Party 5 at the time. But it's just so funny. She's like, is your brain leaking? Um, My mom was killed. Like, why are you picking this up? Like, it's just like... Why was she with him? Like, Ugh. all he wanted to do was, like, pressure her into sex. And he was like, we don't need to rush. But then he was, like, basically complaining about it, that she wouldn't have sex with him because of what happened with her mom. And I'm like, according to to everybody, her mother was raped and murdered a year ago. And you're wondering <laughs> yeah. why she doesn't want to have sex right now? Why don't you leave her alone? Live her alone. Live her alone. And, um. It was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's just, like. I don't know. He's just, he's ugly. <laughs> like, why does she even want to be with him? He's greasy and weird. And like, he's obviously an asshole. Like, ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Just be with Randy. What's your problem? Ugh, if she know. had been with Randy the whole time, none of this ever would happen. Well, Randy is like the ducky to her yes. Molly Ringwald, Andy character. Absolutely. Um, but I would like to talk about my favorite character in the whole franchise. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know. I, I would like to put forward some guesses, but I would rather you just tell me. <laughs> What's your first guess? I don't know. I'm I'm thinking it's like Dewey, Gale, or Stu. It's Gale. Okay. I think she is one of the best characters ever. I honestly, like, she's my favorite character even more than Sydney because she has such good character development across mm-hmm. the four movies. And horror movies, again, like, especially throughout franchises, they do not do this. Name another horror franchise that has throughout four and now five, like, we don't know what direction her character is going to go in with five, but even just the four, like, she goes through such an interesting character arc because she's this classic character of like she's not nice but she's good deep down she just has an affinity for things that a lot of humans are seduced by like fame and money and power and she's starts out so focused on like gossip and getting her Pulitzer Prize and doing whatever she possibly can to get the story and the fame and all of that kind of stuff and I actually think that being involved with this whole thing and getting involved with not just solving the murders, but with Dewey, I think it kind of like saved her life from being shallow and just focused on money and and fame and stuff because he's such the opposite. Like he's the nicest, sweetest, most down to earth, like just goofball guy. And you would never think that she would pair up with somebody like him. Like she would pair up with somebody like who Cotton is in the third movie, this TV host or something yeah. with this like slick LA apartment and. And I love that in the third movie, they talk about her and Dewey talk about how she tried, like she nursed him back to health in Woodsboro, but she couldn't stay there because nothing happens there. And she needed to be in like LA or New York. And, you know, she's a woman who really struggled between her career and her romance and which one she wanted to focus on and how to do that. She's just so powerful and unapologetically wants what she wants and goes after it. And she's so powerful and she's so strong. And she's just been through so much and she just handles it so well. Even in the, in the fourth movie, like I love her storyline. Dewey's like, look, I'm the sheriff. I got this. And she's like, no, we solve these together. Like I, she's cause she's always knowing what's up literally from the first movie. We were just talking about this yesterday, Mm -hmm. how she knows that cotton is not the killer. She's done all of that investigative research. She's always better than the cops. And in the fourth one, she's like, fine. If you don't want to listen to me, I will go out on my own and figure this out. And I love that the scene 
scene where she has the mask on and she shows up to the stabathon like and dancing. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, woohoo, like <laughs> killers. And meanwhile, this is like her her trauma of her life that everyone's laughing about and like stabbing the air and all of that shit. And um I just oh there's just so there's so much to her and I can't say enough how grateful I am how hard they've always leaned into her development and how much they've always given her a good plot in each movie she's never just kind of been there yeah I agree with you I think that her relationship with Dewey like really changed the trajectory of her life and obviously other things did too but I mean they talk about it a lot they really do talk about it a lot in the beginning of the second movie in the third movie, and then a little bit in the fourth movie, you really can see with Marley Shelton's character, uh, what is it, Judy, right? Deputy Mm -hmm. Judy? You know, obviously she has like a crush on Dewey. She's very like by the book and she has her little rhymes and stuff and Dewey's the same exact way. They're very, very similar. And so Gail is kind of like a little bit threatened by her. They kind of don't really like each other. And she's like, your lemon squares taste like ass. (laughs) (laughs) And But it's funny because you're like, Judy is this like small town deputy, just like Dewey was. Maybe they would be good together. But then you're like, no, Dewey and Gail are endgame. It doesn't matter if Gail is this big time famous reporter that lived in California or whatever. Dewey and Gail, even though they maybe don't have that much in common and, you know, they want to live in different types of places and whatever, they belong together. They work well together. They solve crimes together. Like the way that their brains separately come together to figure all of this stuff out and the protectiveness they have for their friends and even for strangers, they're just perfect together. I love them together so much. And also I noticed a lot during Scream 3, I was really interested in watching like the dynamic between between real Gail and fake Gail. And, you know, because at first Gail is like super bothered by her, but then, you know, she like attaches herself to Gail throughout the movie because she wants to, you know, understand the way her mind works for stab whatever it is. Is it stab three, I think? Yeah. And then she, you know, and Gail's pissed off and she's like, leave me alone. But then it benefits both of them and they become this little like this little team. And then by the end, you're like super sad when she dies and Gail is just like really upset. You know, you can see her reaction and you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. like she hated her in the beginning, but but they actually kind of became friends. Yeah. And that's the thing that's so great about Gail is she's like, you think that she's so like bold and brash and just like her way is the highway, but she actually is open to like seeing things a different way and relating to different types of people. And I like when... Randy says that she's an opportunist because I think she is and like when she sees an opportunity that's going to benefit her she takes it but she never takes it too far like there's always been an opportunity and I guess there still is in in the fifth one to make her the killer right because if there's another set of murders she can write another book she can become famous again and I think she would never ever take it that far like she has limits she's not just like a ridiculous caricature yeah i think you're definitely right i think there is one time that she went too far which was when i wrote it down during scream two when she tricks is it when she tricks i said gail is a huge bitch for setting up this shit with cotton dick move like Mm -hmm. i feel like she kind of struggles between her ambition and doing what she thinks she needs to do for her career and being loyal to Sydney mm-hmm. and just having a good heart yeah and does she owe Sydney loyalty I feel like she does but maybe she doesn't feel like she does or maybe she can't figure out if she does or not 
Mm -hmm. And I love the development between Scream 3 and 4 where like at the beginning of Scream 3 when they see each other in the police station, they it's kind of like an awkward hug and it, it's really well acted by the two of them. They're like, do we hug? Do yes. we like each other? Do we not? And then in the fourth one, when Gail sees her, she's like, Sydney, and gives her a big hug. Yeah. I, I love how they became like the, the surviving trio. Yes. No matter what happens, they're always connected now. Yeah. They're such strong badass women. Since we've gone deep into Gale, why don't we talk about Mr. Dewey now? I love Dewey so much. I know. He's such a sweetheart. And it's so funny because it's funny to watch him physically go through what he goes through. At the end of Scream, he's all screwed up. And then the beginning of Scream 2, you are you know, he has like the arm thing going on and he has a limp and whatever, which, you know, is addressed by Randy. He's like, what's with the thing? You were stabbed. He said, I think he says you were stabbed in the back. And he's like, it's nerve damage. Like, duh. And then, <laughs> and then in Scream 3... I mean, Scream 2, he was real screwed up. Like the auditorium scene, he really got messed up. So when he comes out on the stretcher at the end of Scream 3, you're like, oh my God, he's alive. He's got to be so messed up. And then I was watching Scream 4 and like, I know it's 10 years later, but in Scream 4, he's totally fine. Like he has no, he doesn't seem to have any lasting disabilities or, or like side effects or whatever from being stabbed like God knows how many times and shot out and knocked over and slammed against things and concussions and whatever the heck else, broken bones and stuff. And in Scream 4, he's fine. He's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really let that. <laughs> they, they were like, eh, it's been a long time. He he had physical therapy. He's good. Yeah, it's too complicated to work in a disability to his character. So we're just going to pretend <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like there's so many good moments of character development for him and – um. I know that they he was supposed to die in the first movie and they everybody loved him too much that they just shot an additional thing of him being alive because they didn't want to lose him and a lot of people are saying oh in this fifth movie one of the three has to die it's crazy at this point that they all live and I could see how they would want to do that I don't think that they would take the huge leap of Sydney so I think that if that is the case it has to be Dewey or Gail and if I had to pick one of them to die it would be Dewey only because of how amazing Gail's development is and it actually would be interesting to see where she would go without him or whatever how she would develop after that like would she write another book because now it's like really personal or whatever, but I really, really don't want to see any of the three of them die because they're such good characters. And again, the way this is different from other franchises, no other franchise has three. I don't think if I'm wrong, someone will DM me. I know, <laughs> but I don't think any other horror franchise has three main characters who live throughout four movies, possibly five. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Again, but it's that consistency. That's. Just even you saying that, like saying like one of them has to die and it, it obviously has to either be Dewey or Gale, but thinking about Gale living without Dewey if he died, it breaks my heart. I don't even want to think about it. I know. I'm so like, we're so invested. It's like our family members cannot die. Yeah. And, but then like Dewey's been through enough. He lost his sister. Like, ugh, I, know. I, I just can't, I can't. I was thinking we were actually talking a little bit about in Scream 4 when Sydney's aunt Kate dies and obviously it's like a family thing they're like we're gonna go after your family and and you don't really think about it too much like you only really think about her family when when Roman shows up but like all of these people all of the killers and all of the victims have family have mm -hmm. 
extended family have sisters brothers moms dads aunts uncles and you're like what are they going through you know are they being targeted do they have to deal with this stuff do they live in woodsboro where do they live from what i've looked at which was almost nothing what i looked at on imdb about the new scream i see the names of some of the characters and i'm like yes more family members i cannot wait like Mm -hmm. i'm very excited for that me too i'm just excited for anything that's going to reference the past and apparently there's a lot of that in there because from what I'm picking up from the spoiler free just like few lines of Twitter that I keep seeing it everyone's saying it follows in the same vein as the other one so thank yeah. god but what you were saying about the family a lot of people in the in the fandom like hate the character of Kate because they're like they didn't give her enough scenes she could have been a better character because there's what you're saying like we want to hear more from family members and stuff but I actually think she has one really good line which is when she says nobody asks me about my scars that was her sister and her niece going Mm -hmm. through all of this you know it's crazy to think about like what was she thinking the whole time you know and even Jill that character like she's a good character I I don't dislike that character or anything and I don't think that she's like poorly done but it would have been interesting to hear more about her upbringing because I know that it kind of turned her into like she's jealous because everything is Sydney 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 and that's all anyone cares about but it's like obviously if you're going through a murder spree every once a year you would be the thing people in your family are talking about like it's not like she won an Oscar or something and that's why everyone's obsessed with her. It's not something that you want to be known for. And that's what makes that movie so twisted and that reveal so twisted. Yes, I love that though. I thought that was like I'm not a I'm not the biggest fan of Scream 4. Like I think some of the the dialogue isn't wonderful. Like it kind of I don't know. A little off. Yeah, it seems like dated almost like they could have done better but the reveal just like oh my god jill slash emma roberts like just that that she could be that crazy and it's so believable and Mm -hmm. i watched her the whole time like i actually watched the end of it a little bit because tony was watching it and so i watched the end twice in the past like two weeks so this time when i watched it from the beginning i know i i paid special attention to jill and how she was reacting you know to everybody dying and being chased by Ghostface and, you know, talking to Sydney and all this kind of stuff. And, I, you know, it's it's dumb to say, but Jill is a very good actress. <laughs> like She is. You would never know. You would never know that she's a freaking crazy bitch. Like, it's <laughs> insane. And I love it, though. Like, that's my, I think my favorite scene probably in Scream 4 is after she's, like, shot and stabbed everybody at Kirby's house and she starts maiming herself. To make uh-huh. it look like she was the victim and she she stabs herself in the shoulder and she throws herself into the, the picture frame and then she throws herself in, onto the table and uses his fingers to scratch her face and pull her hair out. And I'm like, God, this is like, this is so powerful because it really shows you how nuts she is. And I love it. She plays it so well. It's really, really well done. I think I think it's her best performance by far, honestly. And people who haven't seen Scream 4 don't really get how good she is because if you just know that she's in Scream 4, you would never think that she's the killer. So the performance is so different once the reveal is shown. But I love Emma Roberts' delivery of after Olivia gets murdered and Sydney fearless brave amazing heroic sydney just runs into the house without Mm -hmm. even like hesitating even though she doesn't even know this girl it doesn't matter i fucking love sydney but anyway jill says she said you were the angel of death and you can like tell that emma roberts on purpose is not performing that the best that she would if she knew it was a sincere line it's coming off as a little too dramatic and a little like 
weird of her to even say but you know that Jill is behind that performance being like we're doing it we're pulling it off like everyone believes he slices her arm in that scene just like with Derek and yep. you know so that she looks innocent let's see what else did I want to say oh Dewey I love the scene where Dewey and the sheriff or the chief are talking outside of the police station and he's like smoking a cigarette but Dewey's, Dewey's eating like an ice cream cone he's eating ice cream like <laughs> It's just so he's so innocent. Like he doesn't so even adorable. smoke. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just so cute. And I love just the little things because Matt did a lot of this too. But just the little ways that they made lines and scenes better when the killer calls Sydney at Tatum's house, which is Stu calling because Billy's at the police station. And Dewey he like gets there a little too late because he's He's trying to be a good cop, but he's still really young and he's not, doesn't quite have it yet. And all his banter with Tatum where, you know, he's like, mom told you I, when I'm in this <laughs> uniform, I'm a man of the law. Like you have to treat me that way. And then he's, you know, he runs in, but he's to like protect them, but he's too late and the phone already hung up and he picks it up and he's like, hello. <laughs> he's, like, he's like so ready to take on this killer, but he's already gone. <laughs> I love that part with Tatum and Sydney when they're like, having kind of like a slumber party i just love how excited tatum is because sydney just punched gail <laughs> and the yes. part where she goes bam bitch went down and and she's just like punching her stuffed animal and it just makes me laugh yeah that's such a good scene because it like i was saying before it really like you feel that they're best friends that are always in that room together and like she's so excited for Sydney like she could tell that she truly loves Sydney it's not just like oh they go to school together whereas like in Scream 2 her roommate Hallie like there's nothing about their relationship where you're like oh those two are like true friends you're like yeah they're roommates so like they're friends and she seems protective and nice and everything but there's not that bond you know yeah they seem like superficial like college roommate friends that like you're best friends for two years and then you never talk to each other again yeah, it, exactly. So let's talk about the party and the final reveal. Um, do you remember at all, like, did you have any idea that it was Billy and Stu or what were you thinking? I honestly don't remember. It was so long ago. But I, I want to say one thing um, about Dewey. When you, when, um, when Sydney is in the police station, there is a hat on Dewey's computer and it has eyes on it, and it says boob inspector. <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted you to know. <laughs> because I, I was like, what does that say? And I paused it, and it just says boob inspector. And I was like, all right. Okay, Dewey. <laughs> I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember, honestly. I, I, I really don't remember seeing one through three the first time or like the first couple of times I don't remember like the reveals or anything like that which is sad but I think um I don't know I guess it's it's really not that surprising it's I mean the Stu thing is a little weird because you're like what the hell is his motive but but the Billy thing you can see it because Billy is a creeper I think it's not that shocking well, I guess it is – the thing is it's so hard for me to put myself in the minds of somebody seeing this for the first time with ha having no idea. Like I can't – I don't really remember what I thought initially, but they faked you out twice with Billy, right? Because first they show him kind of proving his innocence and then they show him dying or so you think. So you kind of have ruled him out in your mind and you're going, okay, like toward the end of the movie, it's such a thrilling leading up to that reveal. For me, I don't think you're really thinking like, well, who's the killer? Who's the killer? Like it's more like – 
chaos because you know Sydney's trying to get away from the killer in the car and then she's Matt and or not Matt what's his name Stu and um <laughs> and Randy are like they're yelling about each other and they're like Scare me! he's like give me the gun he's like Stu's crazy and like she doesn't know what's happening and you're like who do you trust more out of these two it's like well Randy is loves Sydney but maybe that's why he's doing all this because she you know he's like this nerdy guy that she won't give him the time of day or you know maybe like uh billy says your movie freak mind lost its reality button like maybe he wants to carry out all these killings then you see Stu, and you're like well he's just kind of like a doofus i don't know if he could really like if Stu was the killer by himself it wouldn't work unless maybe they revealed that he was faking his goofball personality the whole time to seem innocent but i love the combination of billy and Stu because billy like you're saying like yes they faked us out but if they hadn't done that it would have been obvious that's why they had to do that because you can tell he's the most calculating like he's definitely more thoughtful than Stu and Randy probably like you can tell he's smart but he's like slimy <laughs> out of all the characters that they introduced I would say he's the most like yeah like clearly a killer yeah like and then you think about it and you're like of course it's not Randy, but I think the reveal of Stu is pretty shocking because Billy has already revealed himself, right? And you're like, okay, this makes sense. I thought he was dead, but whatever. But then when Stu comes in, and I love Stu's reveal because he's kind of like smiling. He's so goofy, but he is scary. Like, I think this performance from Matt is just like- Epic. It's next level. He deserved a freaking Oscar. Yes, and so did. did so did Drew Barrymore, by the way. Yeah, I was thinking that when I I think about it every single time. But but Stu honestly steals that whole end scene in the kitchen. He does. He really does. Like everything about it, his you know his so called motive, the whole stabbing thing where they're stabbing each other and they're not supposed to be hurting each other, but they are. And mm -hmm. then you know you hit me with the phone, Dick. And then like he's on the phone with <laughs> with Sydney and he goes, "My parents are going to be so mad at me. My my mom and dad." He's the goofy, lovable guy, but like he's very, I don't know, sick. He's, he's volatile. He's sick as fuck. Like you, I think that some people might think like, oh, it's not really believable that he would just do this because Billy's saying to do it or whatever. But he was probably like a sociopath that just needed somebody to hand him a knife. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. he wouldn't have taken his own initiative. Maybe, maybe someday he would have hit a girlfriend or something like that and not, and not yeah. thought anything of it. Oh, she deserved it or whatever. Like I could see him being one of those guys. He is so funny in the scene, but it's still scary. Like it, it never Go, passes over into oh this is stupid like even when he's saying like my mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me it's so funny but it's also terrifying because you think sydney's like downloading all this information that this man or boy whatever that she trusted and just slept with like raped her mother murdered her mother murdered all of her friends is going to murder her unless she does something about it and one of her friends from school also, like Stu, is involved too. And like, they're just joking around. And he's like, did we ever find out why Hannibal Lecter liked to eat people? Don't think so. It's like, they're referencing all these movies and shit. And she's like, hearing the most horrible, traumatic thing of her life. And they're just like joking around and referencing movies. Like, they're enjoying it so much. And the, they're like bleeding with enjoyment more than anything. Like, they're so, they're like hamming it up. They're eating it up. They're so happy and proud of themselves. And it's sick. Like, what do you actually Nasty. think about what's happening? Ugh. Yeah. I mean, and I feel that way too about once they start making the stab movies, especially in Scream 2 when they're in the movie theater and you're seeing all these people like they love watching stab. They love that they're being given like free gifts of the 
ghost face costume and they all have knives and they're running around like crazy idiots like in the movie theater and then the same thing with scream four when they have what is it stab fest the stabathon yeah and stabathon and you're like this was these were a lot of real people that Mm -hmm. were murdered violently brutally murdered in your town you know 10 15 years ago and you're making light of it it's a joke it's funny Mm -hmm. and it's it's gross yeah it's especially sick in scream 2 because this is a new movie franchise there it would make more sense if they were acting like that at the release of stab 2 yeah but this is just the original stab so they're just like fanatics over the fact that this is a real true crime story and i like that they add in that there's that girl in the lobby that's like no this is messed up this really happened to a bunch of kids in california it's like yeah why are you so excited (laughs) yeah it's weird i was actually going to say before about the whole thing where Sydney is she doesn't know who to believe and and uh, Stu and Randy are outside the house and and she says fuck you both and she shuts the door one of my many poor Randy (laughs) moments but um but it's funny because I was thinking and I was thinking about like the video store scene Randy would have been a great sidekick for Billy to have because Randy knows all the rules. He knows everything about the horror movies. He's smart. He, I said too bad Randy is a good guy because he would have been a lot better of a murder sidekick for Billy than Stu was. <laughs> oh, totally. He would have been, even though he does have like a silly personality, he would have been a lot less goofy. And I feel like all, you know how sometimes when Ghostface is like killing someone, he'll like trip or something and there's sounds of like, oh, ooh, like, <laughs> like yes. that's Stu. <laughs> yes, I actually wrote that. Yeah, it was Scream 2. I said... Because I think it was Mickey at the time. And I said, this ghost face has no chill tripping over shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Mickey has that great fall in the in the sorority house. Like, over yes, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Let me see what else I have about the party. I said, did I said, why did Billy have to take Sydney's virginity before murdering her? Dickest move. <laughs> I know. Ew. He has some weird, like, sexual deviant shit, too, because really, like, it was necessary to rape her mother, too. Okay. Yeah, and then he rubs it in in Sydney's face at the end. He's like, what, what happened that fucked you up so much you wanted to have sex with a psychopath? Yeah. Like, because you were pressuring her for, like, a straight year, asshole. Ugh. And then, I don't know, then so like for the rest of her life, how did you lose your virginity? Oh, I had I had sex with my high school boyfriend who then, who murdered my mother and then murdered all my friends. Great. Oh my God. It's great. Can you imagine? Like, no, I, no. It's the sickest. Oh my God. Um, And I do love also in the kitchen scene when Billy is going on about how they killed Maureen. You know, he's telling Sydney about the relationship between Maureen and his father and this is why his mother left and all this stuff and if you watch Stu's face you realize like I don't think Stu knew any of that I don't think Stu really understood what Billy's motive actually was oh what a good observation I always like to watch the other people in the scene to see how they're reacting oh totally that's yeah that's really interesting I wonder like Because I know that Scream 3 kind of messes it up a little bit. It depends on how seriously you take that. I personally just consider this as like their production. (laughs) I don't really think a lot about Roman when I'm watching the first one. Yeah. But – Oh, I don't either. I never think about him until the until I'm actually watching Scream 3. Right. I never he's not on my mind. Um, <laughs> he's so insignificant. But, 
Yeah. I wonder what I would have loved to hear that conversation. Like, how did Billy approach Stu with this? And also, they didn't even have to do all this. Like, I understand. I mean, not that I understand. It's unforgivable. But like what they did to Maureen, it makes sense that they would want that. Not they. Billy would want Maureen gone because she fucked up i mean it wasn't her fault it was you know takes two to tango but like she is part of the reason why her dad his dad left so like okay i want to get rid of this person who did this bad thing you know they didn't have to kill sydney too if anything sydney and the dad are victims wouldn't billy take solace and my girlfriend is also a victim of her mom being this way and whatever you know and i know i know there's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend but like it just shows how sick they were because it's like this was so out of bounds yeah i thought i thought about that i always think about that during the the climax of scream three when roman is telling her all of the stuff they did and and why they did it all and and i'm like why sydney sydney didn't do anything it's not sydney's fault that her mother did whatever she did it's not sydney's fault that her mother chose to stay with her father for for most of the time and raise sydney as her kid and abandoned Roman. How mm-hmm. is that Sydney's fault? Why does Sydney deserve to be tortured? Yeah. You're not going to get your revenge on Maureen by fucking with Sydney because Maureen is dead. She doesn't know. Yeah. And also, I don't like when Sydney says in Scream 3 to her dad, you know, if it wasn't for her, none of this would have happened. And it's like, well, a lot of people have affairs. It's not really like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't really blame her. Yeah, people don't usually like start murder sprees because of it. Yeah. One thing that I don't like is that I would have liked at least one line somewhere of somebody defending Maureen because yes, she slept around and that was not cool. But like, I hate how she's always referred to as such a slut and everything. Okay, yeah, she was sleeping with at least two men outside of her marriage, which sucks. But I don't know. I just don't look at her like that. Like, I don't look at her like, what a trashy whore. If it wasn't for her (laughs) being such a slut, none of this would have... You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, we don't even know... But I guess that it does give her a backstory with the Roman stuff because it's like, okay, she was raped and she was um, taken advantage of by this Harvey Weinstein character, which is really ironic. Ironic because he produced the movie, executive produced. I mean, it was really his brother Bob's project, but Harvey's name is also on it. So it kind of gives her, okay, that's why she was like that. But it's like somebody doesn't need to be traumatized to be like that either. Like sometimes people sleep around. Sometimes people aren't happy in their marriages. Who knows? Like maybe she was sleeping with Cotton and Billy's dad further apart. They act like she had like a gangbang with every dad in the neighborhood. Like calm down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like it though that they like in scream three roman brings out john milton and he's like it's this guy's fault i'm gonna like fuck him up because he he messed up he messed mom up like he he let her get you know corrupted by hollywood and all that stuff it's arguable if he deserves to die we don't actually know what he did like we about him at all (laughs) yeah they don't that's like a character they could have done a better job with yeah we don't know that he actually raped anybody what they basically set up it's like a a casting couch situation which is still not it's not rape but it's not it's not not rape. it's not okay (laughs) so we don't really know exactly what he did but i like that when roman goes to kill him sydney's like no because even though she's obviously not happy about the fact that her mother suffered trauma as a result of this man she's normal so she's not like yay let's murder someone 
Yeah. Even no matter who is dying. Well, I didn't, I don't really, I didn't want to bring it up now, but the part that really gets me in scream three is she kills him. She kills Roman, Mm -hmm. but while he's dying, she holds his hand. I know that's heartbreaking. And it's, she's such a good person. Even after all this shit that happens to her, she never goes crazy. She never like kills anybody else. She doesn't kill herself, which is absolutely a miracle because that's probably what I would have done, you know, but like, she goes through all this crap and she still say, stays true to herself. She stays loyal to her friends. She stays a good person. It's so tragic because imagine how much she would have loved to have met her brother, like yeah. somebody who has a part of her mom in him, you know, and they could have bonded on like having her as a mom and talk to each other about it instead of another fucking murder spree. And he could have had a, another dad. They could have had like a little family. Mm-hmm he was normal yeah and she has to hear this information and kill him like 10 minutes later like she doesn't even have any time to think about like oh i have a brother okay um i have a few more like stray observations about the end of scream i love the part where the phone rings because sydney's calling and um billy just kind of is going crazy he's like ripping couch cushions apart like because obviously sydney's going to be inside the couch cushions calling you on the phone he's like you bitch you bitch yeah and then uh and so the phone rings and Stu Stu goes should I let the machine get it (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love him love him so much and then also the other thing is that kind of bothered me like there's (laughs) there's not much time right between between Sydney getting free and she takes her dad and they hide in the closet right and then literally a few minutes later they pop out or she pops out and she's wearing the fucking costume the full she changed why (laughs) she put the whole ass costume on while she was in the closet with her father why did she do that i know maybe like help him or like yeah don't and i was thinking about that too like she was on the phone saying all this crazy like cursing crazy bullshit and calling billy a pansy ass mama's boy and stuff her dad was just sitting right there taped up <laughs> like he was still taped up he still had tape on his mouth tied up and everything and like and she's just sitting there on the phone in a fucking ghost face costume calling billy a pansy ass mama's boy and i'm like what is her dad thinking right now i know i get her putting on the mask i guess to be like hey look i'm the ghost now like fuck you but she puts on the entire the whole thing it's weird why would she do that why would she waste the time doing that that's not the thing i would be thinking about doing but imagine how proud her dad must have been like wow we were in a sticky situation and my 17 year old daughter got us out of it like damn girl multiple times (laughs) yeah i love the part earlier in the movie when she gets attacked the first time by ghostface and He's about to stab her because he hit her and she's a little woozy, I think. And she's like looking at him and then she realizes that if she doesn't act like right now, she's going to die. And like her eyes get really big and Mm -hmm. then she like finds the strength in her somehow to nail him and run. Nev does such a good job every single time of making this feel so real. It never feels cheap. It never feels like, oh, here we go again. Sydney with her pouty face or whatever. Like it never feels that way. It it always feels so real. You see so much on her face. A lot of the time she's just screaming but she's conveying so many different emotions and you can see her mind working like as she's getting out of all these situations yeah she's an amazing amazing actor and and I just love her so much like I would never say that like Nev Campbell is like my favorite actress or anything but her as Sydney Sydney is such a freaking badass like no matter 
what comes at her, she she takes action. And like you said, and I was actually going to mention it when we talked about Scream 4, Olivia's death. Sydney just runs right on over there. Mm-hmm. Even if she thought that Olivia was dead already, she went over there to get Ghostface. She went over there to, to catch him. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants to know who he is. She wants to rip his mask off and find out who he is and kill the motherfucker. Like, I wouldn't say that she's not afraid, but she just gets it done. And it's yeah. just like Ugh. so powerful. Like, she's definitely like the... She's the best character in the movie, honestly. (laughs) Girl power. Yeah, she's such a badass. She is. And I love when she picks up the phone in Scream 4 for the first time and she just goes, what? Yep, I love that. (laughs) It's funny because watching it when we were in middle school watching Scream, I never thought... I I never thought too deeply about it. But watching it as an adult, and I think we've talked about this before. I've mentioned this to you. Like watching it as an adult and all of like the violence and murders and stuff that we've witnessed, first of all, in our own town, all the people that have died, but like all the stuff that's happened in the past like 10 or 15 years with like school shootings and like bombings and, you know, movie theater shootings and all that kind of stuff. Watching Scream now, it's so much easier for me to imagine that it's real. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like almost bittersweet. Like I love this movie, but I kind of hate the feeling that it gives me at the end of the movie when they play that song and, and Gail is reporting from like the scene of the crime as an eyewitness and and you're just like oh my god like all these teenagers have just been murdered like in the last couple of days like how horrible is that it's so horrible these innocent like mostly innocent like just normal kids yeah it's even tragic that billy and Stu died these are like kids like they could have been if a few years earlier somebody caught that they had whatever this inside of them maybe they could have gotten therapy or they could have gone into an institution or something yeah. instead of what has just astronauts maybe not Stu. i don't know yeah that would be him floating through space would be a movie (laughs) all right matthew lillard let's get this get this going we're gonna do (laughs) we're gonna do scream in space and the tagline is nobody can hear you scream like when you're in space nobody can hear you scream i'm messaging him as we speak so (laughs) so yeah obviously we cannot talk about all the other movies in the depth um that we just did yeah But we already talked about them a lot anyway. But what do you want to say on Scream 2? Okay. I'm just going to like read through my notes real quick because a lot of them are just like one-off little comments. What's her name? Maureen, you know, Maureen. Maureen Evans. Maureen Part 2 and Phil. They are talking about how she doesn't want to see the movie. Like she doesn't want to see Stab. She wants to go see the Sandra Bullock movie. And he says something about paying $7.50 for it. And I was like, oh my God, I want to pay $7.50 for like a Saturday night movie ticket. That sounds so nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's how – actually, no, I think when my mom and I went to see Titanic in the Sparta movie theater, it was $6.50. Oh my gosh. Well, that was Sparta. (laughs) (laughs) I said, why – you won't – you probably won't know what I'm talking about unless you're literally watching it. But I said, why are there hieroglyphics in the men's movie theater bathroom? I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's weird. It's like, I don't know. Is it supposed to be like cinematic in some way? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And how when Phil gets stabbed in the head from the other side of the bathroom stall, how the hell did Ghostface know his head was exactly in that spot to stab it? So I was thinking about this too. I think this opening scene, again, is so good. It's not as good as the first one, but it's up there. Just the commentary on what we consume as humans and what we find interesting and what we find exciting. And it's like Maureen's death is incredibly cinematic and painful and sad and horrifying and just, again, says so much about audiences. Mm-hmm. But hit, but the Phil's death, I just like don't even need. Like, I, mean, I don't feel even like- care about it really 
Yeah, I feel like they could have just not even shown that because it would have been scarier if he came back with the mask on and we didn't know that he just got murdered by Ghostface. So we also think that he's stabbing her. Maybe he's one of the killers or we maybe would realize that he isn't. I don't know. But yeah, I don't like that part. I don't I don't like that scene in the bathroom, but I love the movie theater scene. And I think Jada Pinkett, she's so... And one thing I love about... um. Wes is that he doesn't rein in his actors like Matt, Parker Posey, Jamie, like even, you know, Jamie's doing all these like voices. Like he does like a Jerry Lewis in the first one. And this one, he does the British accent. And I think it's so funny too how, I mean, not funny, it's depressing, but he says lots of crazy shit happens in the movies. People get robbed, shot, maimed, murdered. And I'm like, they did it back then, but now they do. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's fucked up. I thought about that. I was like, wow, that like wasn't even really happening yet, but now it happens all the time. I think that Phil's murder was very much like Steve's. Like it was only to drive, sort of drive the plot forward a little bit, but like you really don't need it. And I feel like even though it was Maureen, her name was Maureen, it was supposed to mirror obviously Maureen Prescott, but I think that Maureen was supposed to be Casey. And like, Mm -hmm. obviously you only really care about her because hers was like the big crazy death in front of all the freaking audience. You don't really care about Phil. He doesn't deserve to die probably, but like you don't really care. Yeah. And don't you? I love Stab. I love the Heather Graham version of it and like the way that they change things just a little bit. It's accurate, but not, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, it's annoying to me, honestly, because there's a lot of scenes, especially the one in the high school where they're talking and it's a one-on-one conversation. And I'm like, how do they know that they said that? I know. Did they no ask one else there. Yeah, like this, the Sydney and Billy conversation about her mother. Like, it's been a year. Like, why aren't you over that yet? And then when she leaves and he goes, stupid, and hits his forehead. And I'm like, nobody even saw that happen. No one heard that happen except Sydney <laughs> and Billy. And one of them is dead. And I highly doubt Sydney told you that. Like, how did... Yeah. How did Gail get that information put it into her book exactly like I guess you could argue that maybe Sydney had to tell the police every conversation they had those few days but even that is too much that's of a stretch too much detail that's there's no way she repeated that verbatim to the cops. <laughs> there's absolutely no way yeah but it is funny how they reference the joke that Sydney made who would play you in the movie oh with my luck it would be yeah Tori spelling, you know, and then they get Tori for that, which is so funny. When that scene is over and they go to the college, I did notice actually another reference to Freddy Krueger. Like, you know, there's the janitor in the first movie who's wearing the Freddy Krueger sweater. Which is Wes. Yeah. And then I noticed in their dorm room or whatever it is, I don't even understand where they live because they're not in a sorority yet, right? No, but they definitely live in like a a sorority house for sure. They just aren't in a sorority. But I noticed that one of them, I don't know whose closet it is, but one of them has a straight up Freddy Krueger sweater Mm -hmm. hanging up. And I was like, that is way too ugly for either of them to wear. Why do they even have that? (laughs) I love the way that Sydney's presented at the beginning of the movie because she you would think she would be more traumatized but she's just so used to it she's like reading off the penal code and like she's just like yeah this is my life now yeah it's funny because it seems normally you're like yeah you know she went through this horrible thing and she's healing and like maybe she'll be okay because she has no idea that it's gonna happen to her three more times but I feel like as soon as like right after that when it comes on the news or whatever or that girl's like turn on the news and she turns it on and I feel like Nev does such a good job of the realization of like it's happening again and she accepts it like right away but Randy is just like "Mm, this has nothing to do with us 
obviously not. They only have the same exact names as the first victims. (laughs) (laughs) Not weird at all. And I love – here's something they do in this movie that is unique, which they they give Dewey a theme. It's literally called Dewey's theme, and it's that, like, western-y kind of, like, song. Yeah. I love that – Marco Beltrami is his name. He did the score for all four movies. Brilliant scores, great soundtracks. And by the way, there's a rap song. Oh, no. That was – made for this movie which i only discovered this last year i think i probably immediately texted you about it probably if you listen the first part of the credits is like a more normal song and then the second part of the credits like they literally tacked this on at the very very end there's a rap song and it's literally some guy going like scream and he's like rapping about being ghostface and stuff it's so ridiculous it's so bad i'm looking at the lyrics right now (laughs) It says scream. Ah, I hear them coming. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. They didn't even play it in the movie. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I mean, I don't know this by anything except speculation, but it seems like they must have thought this song was going to be good and then it wasn't, but they still had the deal. So they had to put it in somewhere and they literally put it in the second half of the credits. It's so funny. Yeah, it says, um, look in the mirror. We gone scream. Hall of Records. That's my homies that be screaming in the graveyards. Ugh, scream. It's wicked out here. (laughs) I smoke green with the Reaper. Oh, Oh. do you know? That sounds more like a scary movie. This Reaper got me tripping, man. (laughs) Right. We all talk like that. Yeah. I didn't know that Ghostface was like a big stoner, but I guess. Apparently. College, so. The one one of the quotes that I really loved, which I never noticed before, um, when Gail is doing the press conference and they're all kind of just like, you know, watching her and, you know, they, they haven't talked to her yet. They're not really discussing what's going on. They're just like observing her. And and Sydney and Randy are looking at her and I guess he says something about Gail and she goes, be kind. She saved our lives. And the next thing Randy says is, she had calf implants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like... Okay, that's kind of apropos of nothing, but whatever. <laughs> I feel like they they put a lot of that like celebrity internet culture kind of stuff in there because she has that joke about, oh, you know, the nude photos, it was only my head, it was Jennifer Aniston's yeah, body. Yeah, I love those little in-jokes. That's also funny because Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston are best friends, blah, blah, blah. Like, But I feel like that was a thing back then. It was like celebrity plastic surgery was still kind of new. So like for him to point that out, it was like it's to him, deal. I guess – yeah like relevant because he didn't even think that murders the murders were connected to them at that point so he was just like kind of having fun with this it this is the part where i wrote why is dewey wandering like a lost soul <laughs> because when <laughs> he shows up note. on campus he's just like he's literally looking into space and walking nowhere like, what are yeah, you doing you're not a good cop man <laughs> he's just like looking for her and i guess she still doesn't have a cell phone right yeah does she have a no, cell phone in this movie i don't think so she has one in the in Scream 3, but... I think Randy not. does, though, doesn't he? Or is that someone else's? I think it's someone else's. It might be Gail's or Dewey's, maybe. Oh, oh, oh. Yep, it's Gail's because he picks it up and says, Gail's not here. Yeah. Ugh, that part is just... There are so many good drawn out horror sequences in this movie specifically. Like the best one is the one in the film building with the soundproof yes, stuff. Yes, that one is traumatizing. But- yeah, like I said, the first scene, Cece's death, Randy's death, they all start out slow. Like they all start out with like, oh, everything's normal here. Okay, now it's elevated a little bit and it builds and builds and builds until it's straight up they're getting murdered. Like I love them running around the whole campus just picking up everyone's phone and everyone's like, yes. hey. 
And I love that Randy's like on the phone. He's like really cocky and confident because we think he's safe. He's out in the middle of the quad. Like nothing's going to happen to him out there. It's broad daylight. There's people everywhere. No killer is going to kill somebody like that. I mean, not a killer like this anyway. Then that fucking van just has to be there. You know, like that's where Debbie, Miss Debbie Salt is hiding. (laughs) I love that scene when, I mean, I obviously hate it when Randy is killed, but I love his conversation on the phone because he is so aggressive, especially when mm-hmm. um, when Ghostface is like, you know, you're never going to get the girl and you're never going to get the, the little man you. or whatever. Yeah. And he goes, fuck you. And like and then he starts calling uh, Billy names. And that's why Billy's mom is like, fuck you, dude. Got a little knife happy. Yeah, you, you, you're getting <laughs> murdered, bro. <laughs> I just love his conviction in that scene. Me too. It's like character development for him too because I doubt he would have been like that in the first one. But No, definitely not. He probably feels good about the fact that he's one of the reasons why like Sydney survived. I guess you could say like he made it. He was right the whole time about Billy and everything and now they're at college together and he probably thinks any day now she's just gonna like realize yeah. that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so he really gets triggered by that because also he must have been thinking that moment like how does who is this killer? Like they know me because how else would they know that like I never get Sydney and you know what I mean? Yeah. It is a little bit weird though, isn't it? Like how much he knows. I guess Billy, you know, because he does say Billy was a pansy ass mama's boy so maybe him and Mrs. Loomis were extremely close and they would like talk about all of his friend group i don't know maybe unless she really is maybe maybe she really was a reporter <laughs> look local woman <laughs> that was so funny <laughs> um i also noticed that when dewey and gail have that first conversation and he's mad at her because of the book she wrote um mm-hmm. he has memorized every single page number that she wrote about him that he appeared on he knew every single page and every quote <laughs> Yes, he reads it like verbatim. Yeah. (laughs) All of those scenes with them where initially he wants nothing to do with her and she's trying to explain what, you know, where she's coming from. And you can tell she's still kind of like rotten because she sets up that whole thing, lies to Cotton. Yeah, she's still kind of like only out for herself and doesn't really see a friendship or a bond with, with Dewey and Sid the way that she should and the way she does later. She's still conniving. She's still a liar. She's going to do whatever to get her way. And then eventually they get to the point in their conversation and she's like, I feel really bad. And you can tell that she's sincere and like Mm -hmm. she's, her heart grew one size, like in the (laughs) Grinch where she's like, oh gosh, this actually is a really nice, true guy who cares about me. Like he doesn't care about my stupid show or my book. He cares about me. Mm -hmm. It's just so good. And then their whole, that whole scene in that that film and sound recording area it starts off as this rom-com scene where they like get back together and they're about to literally have sex on the table (laughs) and then all of a sudden Ghostface is like hey girl um I've been filming too which by the way her cameraman that character is so good and (laughs) he didn't even die like I wish he was in the third one I know I I noticed that I was like it's kind of weird that he didn't die and I liked him a lot and then at the end I was kind of like impressed by his loyalty because Gail, you know, after, after everything has happened, Gail is out front and, and he just walks up to her with like the camera and he puts the microphone in her hand and he's like, all right, let's go. You know, he kind of bailed on her before, but now that she's like survived all this shit and he's like, you know what, let's go. Like, I'm here for you. Let's do this. And and she's all shaken and that. stuff, but he, he goes for it. And I'm like, I love this guy. And then he never comes back. Yeah. And that's a really good performance from Courtney in that moment too. Like all of that that you just said is like on her face. She's like, wait, 
what? Oh, he's back. Oh, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, oh, this is what I do. I forgot. <laughs> and I love when he is like, he's like the audience. He's like, I'm out. Peace. I'm not hanging out around here. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I wrote, um, this poor camera guy should have just stuck to the bingo finals. <laughs> <laughs> he almost won an award or he did win an award, I think. Oh, right, right. We were laughing at the scene in the auditorium because they both like look up for, or I think Gail looks up for a second at like the video playing or something and Dewey's hand is just stuck on her boob. <laughs> Doesn't uh, she say like, oh my God or something and he's like, I know. And she's like, no, 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 that's, no, no. That's the first one. That's the first one. <laughs> Yeah, that was really funny. And and she's just like laughing at him. And yeah. I found that funny too, is like they just happened to roll down the hill exactly where Sydney's father's car was. I know. And it's so funny how in movies, a guy always ends up on top of a girl by accident. And that's how they end up realizing that they're hot for each other. <laughs> yeah, our, our parts are touching. Oh my God. <laughs> that so rarely happens that somebody just ends up on top of you. <laughs> That happens to me all the time. What are you talking about? I'm constantly Sorry. rolling down hills and ending up underneath hot men. Okay, well, write it in a script. I did. I wrote this. Oh, thank you. I just, you know, I'm a woman, so they they changed my name to a man's to name. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Williamson. But yeah, this whole sequence is actually extremely scary. And I love that they found a new interesting environment to put them in where the chase and the killing would be different very affected by the surroundings yeah. and i think if you catch me at the right time on the right day i actually tear up and sometimes cry when gail is watching dewey and she can't do anything yeah. like sh there's nothing she can do and he he knows it and she knows it he's dying and there's nothing they can do about it and they just got back together like mm -hmm. ugh, it's really hard to watch it is hard to watch it's, it's very emotional i would say it's the hardest thing for me to watch like i think it's harder for me to watch than the drew scene because of the emotion you know yeah and i think also i just realized it's kind of a mirror to the scene in scream 3 when Jennifer's behind the, you know, the little hidden room behind the closet, behind the, like, the mirrored. Yeah, his sick freaking, like, you could watch people have sex in their room. Yeah, I guess. And she's behind there and she can see them, but they can't see her. And it's kind of like almost, you know, it's like a similar thing. Like, she's behind there being murdered and there's nothing you can do about it because you can't even see her. Yeah, they do a good job with putting them in interesting places. I think a lot of horror movies don't do these really long extended chase scenes and they're so it's like the most entertaining thing the only one i can think of that is comparable which makes sense because kevin williamson also wrote it is in i know what you did last summer um sarah michelle geller's chase scene is in like so many different places it goes on for so long and when she finally dies you're just like no like it's kind of like the drew one where you're like she was so close to getting away that's the what i really love in these movies is the build-up of it it's just it's like a perfect song i'm gonna confess something to you right now are you ready oh my god what i have never seen the full film of i know what you did last summer oh it's really good i i, <laughs> I watched it a million times back in the day but i watched it in october for the first time in years and i I just I literally just threw it on because I was like I don't care I just want something on my tv and it it just popped up on prime as like part of my prime I found myself transfixed I was like really? this is so good yeah it's especially that scene have you seen like that part 
No, I didn't even know that she died. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I don't care. But like, it's funny because I have tried to watch it. Like, it used to be on TV a lot, and I'll try to watch it, but I just—it's just not Scream. I just don't care. It's not Scream, and nothing is. That's how I go into my everyday life, though. I'm like, this exactly. is exactly nothing matters. This is not going to be Scream, even when I'm, I'm going to the post office. I'm like, this isn't Scream, but you do say that a lot. I have, I'm like, I have to do this. Like, I just have to live my life, and it's not going to be Scream. So stupid. I know that should be our new like if we like something or if we dislike something like if we eat at a restaurant and it's not good we could be like this, this wasn't scream. scream yeah <laughs> <laughs> like we need more inside jokes <laughs> i know uh, we have a secret language if anyone was wondering uh that reminded me of the time that we went to cheesecake factory i was like we're just casually eating dinner at cheesecake factory as a, a board game and a demon because <laughs> you're a beetlejuice <laughs> Oh my god. We that was went... before the party, I think, wasn't it? Oh my god, we went to the Cheesecake Factory before my friend Russell's Halloween party. As a demon in a board game. Actually, I think you said that. Pretty sure you said that. Sounds like something I would say. Yeah, it does. I, I think I like quoted you on Twitter or something. It comes up once a year. <laughs> um, I hate Debbie Salt so much you hate her like as a person or you like, think it's a bad character no i hate her as a her character is whatever like but i just hate her i want to punch her in the face oh because <laughs> she's she's so annoying she's so obvious and it's not obvious because it's not obvious but like if you knew like when you know that it's her you're like oh my god what an idiot why is she why is she acting like this she's literally telling people that she's the killer but they just are too dumb to realize it well i think that her being a local reporter was a good cover because it makes sense that she would be there she's not somebody who's just there. Local woman. <laughs> Look, local woman. Um, <laughs> Gail has the best lines. But yeah, so what do you think about these killers? Like, is do, do you think that they lived up to the original? Were you surprised? Is it, do you think it's interesting? Do you think it's strong? Or do you think it's kind of like contrived and just a sequel? I don't think it's strong. I kind of do like the, the way that, you know, Billy's mom mirrors Billy and then... Um, Mickey mirrors Stu because Mickey kind of just like wants the fame. Mm -hmm. um, I I do like like I hate that Mickey doesn't have a real motive and I don't like him. Like I like him and I love you know Timothy Oliphant obviously, but like I love the fact that he's excited for the trial. He's like I can't wait to be famous for murdering someone. Like he's legit. <laughs> he legit is nuts and wants the fame for and being it's a murderer. Gonna rock <laughs> and fine, but. I don't know. It's just him being the killer is not strong enough to me. I don't I don't feel like it's enough motivation for him to do what he does and work so hard to team up with Billy's mom. I think that it's good. I, I think I like it more than you. I like that it matches kind of with the first scene in the movie. Like he's one of these crazed people, right? That's like, woohoo, like <laughs> scream yeah. or stab. I think it's funny that they met in a serial killer chat chat room. Like, wouldn't that must have been like on the dark web because like that would be removed. Um, yeah, and what what year was that? Like ninety seven. It came out in ninety seven. Yeah, I know they say how many there are like in America or something. It's like sixty seven. Like, isn't it like existing? I think serial you might have it backwards. I feel like it's like ninety something. I was gonna say it might be like ninety seven, but still, how many of them are on this chat talking to each other? <laughs> Right. Just the two of them, I think. <laughs> and also, but they're not serial killers at that point. So why are they even in there? They're wannabes, I guess. I guess it, it makes sense. Like, I like how they're using the internet, right? Even though it's only a year after the first scream, which, wow, that they got this out so quickly. But um, it's actually amazing it's as good as it is 
for being out so quickly because they rushed it. Yeah, such a quick turnaround time. Yeah, it was almost like ahead of its time. She went online to find somebody willing to go on a killing spree for her. How did she even begin to like, but I do, I mean, if I like really think about it and dissect it, I'm like, wait, what? But when they're explaining it in the scene, like I think that whole ending scene is so good. I think it's so overdramatic. The, the fact that it all takes place on a stage, like there's something about that you know, like there's some metaphor in there. And I love, by the way, I noticed this last year because I watch it every October. So after the whole car scene with the cops, when Sydney goes back there, the first thing we see like is- an like, idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She could have gone anywhere. But the first thing that we see is like the music starting up and like Mrs. Loomis starts up the, or no, Mickey starts up the music and puts on all the lights to do like a theatrical- <laughs> showing of this whole thing and it's so petty and it's good though because you can tell it's like he's he's he likes the show and then he goes mm -hmm. on to like explain that like yeah he wants to be on tv he wants to be a famous serial killer and he set this whole thing up so perfectly now who's doing that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i i think it, it makes sense the way that he tries to fake her out with derek again Ugh, like yeah sydney's trauma Poor i can't derek. The way that he oh, dies is so – It's so heartbreaking. Like when he, he uses his last breath to tell her that he never would have hurt yeah, her. And, and during the – I'm really like butthurt about his or his um fraternity guys because they, they're the ones that tied him up. I and know. put him on that freaking thing and then they like sprayed beer in his face and whatever and they keep saying who do you who do you love or whatever and he he just keeps saying i love sydney over and over again oh my god he's so loyal to her and he oh it hurts it's just painful it makes me so sad but i do love in the third movie when she is wearing his necklace the whole time Oh, I know. That was a good – I think I, I read that Nev – that was Nev's idea and that was a great idea for her yeah, character, you know. Idea. A lot of people don't like his character, but I think his character is good. Like, I think he does what he can with – like, he's just a, a normal boy. Like, he's this yeah, normal pre-med guy and, like, he doesn't know how to deal with all this, but he's trying his hardest. Like, he says to her that he's here and he's not going anywhere and, like, she's getting nervous because, obviously, she has trust issues from what happened with Billy and – She's also nervous if he is innocent that he'll die and he's just trying his best and like he goes back into that house when Ghostface attacks Sydney instead of whatever like he tries to fight him and he does the best that he can. He has this card of gold and he's willing to do whatever for her and everyone hates that the scene in the cafeteria. Oh, I love it. I love it too. It's adorable. It's stupid, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, it is stupid. But like, I think, again, he's doing the best he can. They're obviously all like performing arts, theater, film kids. Yeah. I mean, I guess like Derek seems like more of a jock, but friends with all of them. So I don't know. And it makes sense that he would like sing to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it makes sense that he would do something silly like that. Like he would put on a show. Hmm. Yeah, because he wants her to know how that that he's serious. Obviously, it's silly, but like he's letting her know that he's so serious about his feelings for her that he's going to get up on a table and sing in front of everybody. Yeah, I liked it. If someone did that for me, I would, you know, do stuff with them while naked. <laughs> he's just so sweet and it makes me so sad. I know. And speaking of the play and the stage and the auditorium and everything, when she's talking to her professor... And then she goes on stage and does the rehearsal. And like at first she's fine and whatever. And then she starts seeing everybody with like ghost face. You know, she starts seeing ghost face and like everybody has knives and stuff. And, and it's like, could you literally be in a more triggering play? <laughs> 
I know it's the worst play for it to do. Yeah, possibly not the best choice at this present moment. No matter what kind of headspace you're in, even if the murders weren't occurring again, that would not be a good idea to be in that play. Yeah. I love that they do a full dress, including makeup. Yeah. Even though this horrible tragedy has just happened and they're like, look, <laughs> the show must go on. But I actually love that scene. Maybe it's because I'm an actor and like I feel the meaning of still getting up on the stage and continuing and being brave, even though you're terrified and I like her little Greek monologue. Like, I think Neb does a good job with it. She does a really good job with it. I would love to see her in that play. Oh my God. Please make it happen. Broadway. That would be great. <laughs> she could do it now. She could still do it. Of course. She still looks the same. So She looks exactly the same. And it's funny because that's exactly what Tierney and Tony both said that. They were like, she has not aged. She really hasn't. She looks better than everybody else. I know. The interviews that she's been doing, she's 48. Her interviews this week. What? Yeah. If you told no. me that she was, like if I had never seen or heard of her and you just showed me a picture or like an interview of her, if you told me, oh yeah, she's 34, 35, like I believe that. Okay. Um, And then, oh my gosh, when, uh, when she's in the library, that part really pisses me off with Cotton. Because I get that like he's probably traumatized, you know, not as much as everyone else, but he's got to be traumatized too. He's mm-hmm. been framed for murdering his girlfriend who was cheating on her husband with him and like he went to to jail and and then so he comes back and all he wants is a freaking interview he just wants her to say in public that that he is exonerated Mm -hmm. she won't do it which i also get but i'm like you know that there's detectives and cops everywhere and you know what's happening right now and you know that sydney is you know a very important person so why the hell are you screaming at her in a library yeah like you're at her school i mean it's crazy that they didn't close school it's not the time or place and i totally get why he's like losing his temper like he's been through a lot but yeah it's really weird he's so aggressive like that i get why but and i know that they did that because it's like oh is he the killer now but it makes no sense and even gail is like the killer's gotten fucking weary (laughs) she's so sure about that and it's like it makes no sense because he he escaped a murder chart like he was gonna go to prison for the rest of his life he's never gonna take a risk again because he knows what it's like to be like in jail so maybe he's not the best red herring but i like what they do with his character like they got really lucky that the actor they cast for this nothing role in the first movie was so good because he really sells the performance he really does i do get it though like i think he is a good herring a good herring a good red herring he's a great herring Um, he's a wonderful herring (laughs) because i think it would be believable though that he would want revenge on sydney because she's the one who told everybody that he killed her mother Mm, you know so he he would have a motive i mean i still don't like it i don't think it's not believable just because because it's cotton weary you know they're not gonna make him the murderer like that's silly Mm -hmm. but still he would absolutely he has a better motive than mickey does i think it's great that they have him ending up being the hero this whole movie is such a good roller coaster and i love the conflict at the end because he does pause a little bit right when when debbie's like please let me kill her like she sent you to prison for a year she deserves this you know she won't comply to what he's asking her and everything but he's still because he's not a psycho murderer he's a good person or even if he's not a good person like he's a normal person he's not he's, a murderer it's all that matters <laughs> and i love when when they both gail and sydney both go on this like shooting attack and he goes whoa <laughs> yeah i i wrote cotton cracks me up but he is such a dick <laughs> yeah yeah for sure he uh and he shows that more in in the third movie at the his opening scene is like whatever i just basically wrote laurie metcalf is nuts 
I love Lori Metcalf with every fiber of my being. She does such a good job. One of my favorite episodes of all time of any show, but especially like obviously specifically of Roseanne, is the episode where um, their father dies. She has to call, I can't remember who she has to call, like their great aunt or something and tell her that their father has died. And the lady on the phone can't hear her. So she just has to keep repeating herself and she gets more and more like frazzled and crazed because she keeps having to keep repeating herself. And then by the end, she just goes, dad's fine. He sends his love. And she hangs up. (laughs) (laughs) She's great. And she's so, this is another performance. Like if Wes reined her in at all, you cannot tell because she's so crazed and maniacal. Like she wants to kill Sydney so bad. Like she genuinely wants to kill Sydney. It's not just like, she's not, it's not like Mickey where, or Stu, where they're just like, oh, I'll kill this person. Like she's raging. And you understand on some level, right? Because even though he completely asked for it and if he hadn't done what he did none of this would have even happened Sydney did murder her boy right that's her little boy and even though she moved out and abandoned him and all of that shit she's had this psychotic break of losing her son and Sydney is to blame in her eyes yeah and also um they don't mention it and whether she included this as her motive or not like Billy and Roman both kind of used Sydney as a scapegoat for her mother's actions you know on on some level I think Mrs. Loomis did the same thing like even though obviously a huge part of it was that Sydney killed Billy but I think it's also like taking out her rage because Sydney's mother like fucked everybody's lives up which is not fair why do you keep going after Sydney it's not her fault (laughs) yeah and I love when she says that she's a good mother and Sydney's like yeah you did a bang up job Mrs. Loomis and I love that Gail pops back up the end you thought I was dead but I'm fine (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine can somebody get me out of here I it sucks because like I don't like to see Gail like sidelined like that but it makes sense because Sydney needed to be she needs she's the final girl like she needed to be the one front and center for that especially yeah and she needs to be one-on-one with Billy's mom yeah Exactly. I mean, this is definitely my favorite horror sequel of all time. I mean, I'm sure it's my favorite sequel of all time as well. I love it. Even an extremely goofy movie. I know. It's so hard. <sighs> I'm I'm insulted. It's just not, to me, it's not comparable with a lot of other like part twos. Like it's so much better. And even though there's, yeah, there's criticisms to be had. It's it's like crazy when you, um like I was talking to somebody about this, like regarding Lady Gaga, because they were like, oh yeah, her, her career, like, of course, because she, she relates to this. Yeah, it's um, very relevant. But they were talking about how like, oh yeah, her career really sank after whatever, like 2010. And I was like, but she was so overwhelmingly big. It had to go down. She couldn't stay at that level forever. Like there's a certain level of great that you get that there's no sustaining it. So it's like, you might as well try something new or have fun. And I feel like that is how I think of Scream. Like the first one is not, you're not going to do that well ever again, not even because of talent or whatever, but just because it was new. It was the first one. It was fresh. The first one was so good. Nobody expected it. It's like now we're expecting like we have a precedent we're expecting a certain thing and we're going to be critical of everything oh that was better in the first movie and so is that so it's like yes I don't consider it as good as the original but it's still really fucking good so I know that there's like a lot of hate for Scream 3 which is weird to me because I think Scream 2 and 3 are kind of like I feel like they're kind of on the same level for me but do you like one of them more than the other I definitely think that Scream 2 is 
better. And the biggest reason is the great, amazing horror sequences, or even just like from a thriller perspective, like, or a dramatic perspective of like somebody was being stalked or or whatever. Each sequence, like the Maureen one, the CC one, the one we didn't even talk about the, the whole car scene, like where Hallie ends up dying at the end, like the whole thing builds so much. That's what these movies should be. That kind of thrilling roller coaster ride. And Scream 3, like, does not do that at all. Like Scream 3 attempts that a little bit, but for the most part they don't even go there because of Columbine that's why the movie is so like there's not Mm. a lot of blood and I'm not even I'm not the kind of person who needs a lot of blood yeah I don't like that some people are reviewing the new one and they're like the kills are great and I'm I'm not one of those horror fans that like needs great kills for me it's more about the chase like I don't need the killing to be that creative because if you do a good chase scene and like a dramatic action scene when that knife like first goes in that's all you need because at that point you're like no like that person was gonna get away that's really what I'm more into I think that Scream 3 has a lot of problems but I still love it like I think it's so smart that they moved it to Hollywood because now it's so meta that they have to literally be in Hollywood and they're making this movie like all the stuff with I love the real actors or the real characters meeting their actor counterparts Parker Posey is a fucking genius is the star of, of scream three she, she <laughs> is the star of movie history Life. like yes. from that one movie yeah this is the one time that they do like a good a really good like chase sequence is sydney at her own house but it's not her house <laughs> i love it it's um, so good before we start talking about three at the end of two i hated the very last scene where Sydney's walking out onto campus or whatever, the music that plays is like this like kind of cheerful sounding rock song. (laughs) Yeah, it's like everything's great now. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, your roommate slash good friend was just murdered. Your really good friend from high school who survived the first time was just murdered. Like I was, I wrote, I hate the happy music at the end. And I went, Randy is dead. (laughs) I know, like how could anyone? How is this okay? (laughs) Yeah. It's not. How are we moving on with our lives? Because I don't. I, I mean, I I haven't. I still haven't. Why is Randy dead? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah, I'm not. No, no one's okay. When they pan out on her and they show like the clock tower, there was going to be another killer in that clock tower to leave space for Scream 3 just like standing there watching it all. So I guess that was going to be Roman or maybe just mm-hmm. a... Maybe just like a cliffhanger and they didn't have anybody specific in mind. I'm glad they didn't do that though. Yeah, you don't need that. It's don't. like they're going to do a third one. So I honestly like it better assuming that everything's going to be okay. Right. Because like <laughs> whether you do a sequel or not, like everybody is assuming that it's over. Yeah, I agree. I'm actually really surprised that I, because I love the Portia de Rossi character. Like, hi. No, I really mean that. Hi. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't have them die. Like they seem like they were the characters that would die but maybe they were trying to subvert your expectations Expectations, i guess expectations yeah um the only thing i wrote about that was her freaking eyebrows oh my god she had that blonde blonde hair and then like brown ass eyebrows and i was like that does not look good i love her she's beautiful but no (laughs) brown ass eyebrows brown ass eyebrows (laughs) terrible and then another thing was it really makes me mad that sydney does not make very good decisions when there's a killer on the loose she just goes to the worst places why did she go to the auditorium (laughs) who was she expecting to find there maybe she thought it was like wide open and 
or maybe somebody told her like maybe she was like where's Derek and someone was like oh I saw them dragging him into oh uh, yeah you might be right you might be right that's the only plausible explanation that he, she was looking for Derek clearly I've thought about this endlessly <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that's it for like I mean obviously I could talk about a lot more but something that bothered us me and Tierney were watching Scream 3 together and something that really bothered us was his girlfriend Christine she's getting out of the shower she's toweling off she's clearly not wet at all there's no water like anywhere but she's toweling off (laughs) and then when she hears cotton outside the door which obviously it's not cotton but she's walking down the hallway and every step she takes is dripping wet she just like leaves wet footprints and i'm like (laughs) you got out of the shower and you weren't even wet she goes and puts her outfit on she she puts clothes on And then she walks down the hallway and her feet are dripping wet. What the frick sense does that make? (laughs) Well, I have more problems with the script, I think, than any of the other ones. And it's because Kevin Williamson didn't write it. He wrote like a treatment and I think they ended up using some of the stuff, but very little of it. And that is the real place where it suffers because it is lacking something. But I actually think he did a really good job with all of the again the self-referential dialogue everything that has to do with Hollywood or like they're making a movie and they're on the movie set and it's Woodsboro but it's not Woodsboro all of that kind of stuff and to me the but the highlight of the movie is a hundred percent Parker Posey like she's she seems to be the only person I mean Gail Dewey and Sydney are always great but she seems to be the only person that like understands that she's in a third movie and that it's it has to be different. Like, it has to be a little bit different. Like, this whole movie is a little less serious. You know what I mean? It's, like, more comedic. It's um campy. Yeah, like... And yeah, campy. It's so campy. And she's doing, like, a full-on... Like, my favorite thing in the world is when she's, like... I mean, every scene she's in is so good. But I love when she goes... She's, like, crying and freaking out. And she, like, jumps into her bodyguard's arms. And she's, like... I love when she's, like, showing him this the cigarette and she's like i haven't had one of these in a year someone's gonna pay for this (laughs) i love that part when she jumps into his arms and he's just expecting it like it happens all the time (laughs) right like she just plays the perfect like over dramatic hollywood actress trying to get somewhere i hate her bodyguard so much yeah he like makes fun of the fact that tatum died yeah to dewey like what the fuck dude i'm sorry but just for that he deserved to die that's it. Yeah, that was... Why would you say that to someone? Even if you don't like them, you don't talk about how their sister was murdered. What's wrong with you? I like the idea of there being a Hollywood bodyguard as a character, but I don't think that his character is that great. No, it's not important at all. No, like you don't care when he dies and it's... No. But I love the fact that Dewey lives on the property with Jennifer and I like how it's kind of implied. You can tell that Gail's a little bit jealous of her. Mm-hmm. and she's a little bit threatened and I think that Jennifer does want Dewey but she almost respects their relationship in a weird way and I like the way that Dewey defends Gail and says that she has a good heart Gail overhears that and everything and I think it's kind of cute it's almost like he's settling for Jennifer like to lit not even to date her but like to have her around because he can't be with Gail so like he's yes he loves gail so much (laughs) yes that's what i was gonna say is like it's kind of like a it's a stand-in for gail because he can't at the moment he can't have gail so he has jennifer because she's pseudo gail but not really i'm sure you remember um i used to recite that parker posey monologue all the time and i did it while we were watching it I will not treat you guys to that. You'll have to pay. <laughs> but yeah, I literally used to, especially at the lunch table, recite that all the time. Like, who wanted to hear that? You know what I mean? Like, why Me? would – I mean, you did because we're, you and I are like soulmates, but like 
other people, other friends, uh, you know, were like, don't care. What is she? Yeah. Like, what is wrong with you? Why do you know every single scene from every movie? Yeah. You are so weird. (laughs) There was a period of time where I watched at least part of one of the screams every day. Like I just had all three of them on a loop. I would watch like 20 minutes in the morning while I got ready for school. And then I would watch like 40 minutes more when I got home. And then I would like have to go do something. And then I would watch the rest before bed. And then I would start the next one the next morning. And I did that for like months. I remember one time I was in the living room and my mom was just like cleaning or doing something else. And she wasn't really paying attention. And I had the first one on. And I was saying that scene where they're in like the tableau outside at the school. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite scenes. And I was like reciting all the words and my mom just like stopped what she was doing and looked at me and she was like should I be worried and I was like no (laughs) she said something like why can't you be like obsessed with Alice in Wonderland again I love that scene also we're talking um, about her monologue in front of the the what is it like where Carrie Fisher is the like files of all these people that have worked at the studio they're trying to get into the building yeah and and she yeah and she shows up and she's like if someone wants to kill me i'll be with you yeah Yeah. now starting now i go where you go it's such a freaking good performance i put this on my twitter she's just like the epitome of understanding the assignment yeah oh my gosh yes and she she does it on purpose she she's like if i'm gonna learn first she says if i'm gonna learn how to be you i have to be with you like i have to hang out with you Mm -hmm. and then she realizes if she's gonna survive she needs to hang out with her yeah. It's so sad. I'm so sad that she died. I know. That's another one that, that hurt me a lot. <laughs> hurt my feelings. It did hurt. It did hurt my feelings. I could see her coming back because we saw her laying there unconscious, but we don't know that she died. That's true. I wish she would come back, but obviously not in the fifth one because otherwise she would be there. <laughs> yeah. I think that it would be good. I mean, I, did, I would never want her to be a killer, but I, th- I could get behind that like she's the killer because she wants there to be like, another movie or something. And If uh... – <sighs> I don't even remember what her name is. Emily Mortimer. Angelina. I could, I could de- yeah, Angelina. I could definitely see her doing that because she seemed like she had a little bit of crazy in her, like after the house blew up and she she was like shell shocked and then she was like, what the fuck? Like when they went to the party and she was like, she was like, this is bullshit. I'm leaving. And she walks out and then gets murdered immediately. She was supposed to be the second killer in one of the drafts of the screenplay. So I don't know if by the time that she was shooting, she knew that she wasn't anymore, but it was going to be her and Roman and they were going to be like in a relationship yeah i can understand that and and i'm not surprised like i was never surprised that she said she slept with john milton to get the part i can't believe that she's so like she's such a bitch in that moment i'm like damn like you should be sticking together with them not running away okay yeah she was so timid for most of the time until there and you're like oh all right (laughs) yeah that's why that scene is so good because it's like such a curve for her like you're like oh she was putting on an act the whole time i really like watching the movies as an adult having seen them so many times and knowing who the killers are and you know where they are and trying to either knowing for sure or trying to figure out who is killing who when you know Mm -hmm. i liked watching scream three and and being like well why isn't roman concerned why isn't roman around why isn't roman with everybody else i was like is it not clear that roman is the only one that's not involved in this situation like what the hell is he doing yeah my thing with him is like i could get behind sydney having a brother like that's a reference to when we find out in one of the halloween timelines that michael myers and Lori, our our sister and brother, and she never knew that. I get the reference, and I like the reference, and I could get behind Maureen having, like, a secret child. That kind of makes sense. If she slept around, maybe she got pregnant when she was younger, like, that that makes sense. But – and it's fine if he existed the whole time and everything, but I don't – even if maybe he watched Sydney or whatever, but I don't like – he convinced – 
Billy and Stu to do it. I don't like that part at all. I don't like taking away the ownership of that from Billy and Stu. Yeah, because it makes it seem less important that Billy did it. Yeah, and it's like, who wants one of the best movies of all time ruined by, oh, somebody told me to do this. And not even someone that I care about, like not even like, oh, my, you know, my best friend. It makes more sense that Billy convinced Stu to do it. Someone that means something to him. And of course, we we didn't even talk about all the theories that Stu is in love with Billy and he'll do whatever Billy says. And maybe even Billy has some feelings for Stu, but is less eager to do something about it because he feels like he has to be like macho and straight guy or something like that. I like all of those theories. And I feel like even if that's not the case and they're just friends, like it makes more sense. I could see Billy pressuring Stu into doing something. I don't see this like random guy coming out of nowhere no, and approaching so these two children and being like, you need to help me murder uh this woman you know like aren't you mad about this billy like don't you hate this woman it's like okay random stranger like how did how do i know you're not gonna like turn me in or really i don't know it just yeah it doesn't it didn't really make sense it, it doesn't work yeah it's kind of like retconning exactly and i get that okay they had to bring jamie back because everyone loves jamie and he is my ex-husband i loved him once too but i heard that you guys might be uh rekindling your ro- your romantic relationship what? Who did you? Oh, I didn't know that you were like gossiping about me behind my back. I heard that it might be a possibility. Cool. So that's all I heard. Friends, let me just see about that. So <laughs> I get it that he had to come back and they had to give him this monologue. So like he says, you know, anyone including the main character can die. And like in the third movie, we find out something we thought was true that wasn't true and all that kind of stuff because it's the third movie. And, and I guess that they have – that's why they – they like tie that all in to make it make sense because in the third movie, like that doesn't always happen, really. In in the third movie of, Branch. of course not. So that's like, why it's so good. That's why these are so good because they do tie into each other, like they like they should, mm-hmm. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people hate that and think it's really cheap and like like that. Randy came back with the video and that it makes no like how is how is Martha suddenly on the set? And I get that. Like how she – Yeah, why the hell is Martha there though? <laughs> how does she get there? How does she allow it on set? Is she just like, oh, I'm the brother of one of the people that was – or I'm the sister of one of the people that was murdered in Woodsboro. Like, okay. So it doesn't it doesn't really make sense, but I guess just because I love Jamie so much and because of our history. Um, oh, you do love Jamie. Okay. <laughs> I, I admit it. Um, I got the scoop. <laughs> yeah. So because of that, I don't know, like a lot of people think it's very cheap that they brought him back, but it's not like amazing. But of course, because I love Jamie, I want to see him again and I love Randy. So I like that he's there, even though it's so convenient. They just happen to be walking by and she's like, oh, hey, guys. Like she just comes out of a trailer. It's like, where, whose trailer is that? She literally says that. Hey, guys. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really funny when Gail's like, who is that? And Sydney's like, it's Martha Meeks, Randy's sister. Can't you tell? And I'm like, what does that mean? They don't look alike because she's nerdy. They don't look alike. (laughs) The thing is, I don't even think that necessarily like the jennifer jolie character she's better written than like most of the other she's the best one by far of the new characters yeah parker posey really like elevates that but i would say she's i would say that you you wouldn't even notice how funny jennifer jolie could be if it was by another actress you know so i feel like that's more of like a parker posey thing and the script is just i feel like the random little things are good all of the ironies and metaphors of them being in hollywood and like the movie being made and all that kind of stuff like i like all that kind of stuff but it feels like the big things that were kind of important were not (laughs) like fully there's so many bad lines and there's so many things that don't make sense and like the whole the Tyson character is like yeah that was a little like unnecessary yeah they just needed him for you know to be the black like the 
yeah the obligatory yeah the strongest part of the movie besides parker posey is definitely that whole sequence where she's in her own house and she's at Stu's house too like imagine how fucked up that would be for her like to walk i think about that all the time i literally think about that scene it's so good like very often honestly like and i love it because she does that thing with her bedroom door and her closet door to keep Ghostface out or whatever. And I like that because I used to do that with my bedroom door. I remember. I remember we both thought it was so cool that you could do that. <laughs> I can understand why they would think that Ghostface wasn't actually there because no matter what was happening, if she went to a set of her own house and saw the like the murder scene of her mother or whatever, like you're going to have some fucked up reactions to that. And I hate it's oh, – this is like the worst line when – um, I think it's Kincaid and Dewey, like they get there, she's screaming and she's saying that Ghostface was there and Dewey's like, I believe you. And she's like, he was there in Woodsboro. And the the detective's like, that's not <sighs> Woodsboro, Sydney. It's yeah, like, I yelled. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're I was like, she knows crazy. that, you dumbass. Yeah, it's like, you're. he's like gaslighting her, like, you know, yeah. you're overreacting. This It's like reminiscent of how movies, life imitating art and art imitating life, what they talk about in Scream 2. Like, it's weird, right? Like, I, I think about stuff like that because my friend and I were talking about how bad we want to go to the wizarding world. And it's like, like being in a place like that, like it's real, but it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's there to serve a purpose. It's not actually, you're not actually doing that. That's not actually real, but it feels like, but you recognize it as real. Like your brain recognizes it as, oh my God, I feel so good here because this is the place, but it's not the place like even just that part mentally like yeah. what does that do to her to just be and that'll be interesting because we know Stu's house is in the the next one so it's it's interesting because in Scream 4 we get Woodsboro but there's no recognizable locations from the first movie so I think it's going to be really fun in the fifth one to be actually back at Stu's yeah I'm very excited for that I love the scene where she's in her house and I love the part where um like when she first gets into her bedroom and she has that flashback to Billy at her window and, and you can hear their voices and she's like talking along with it yeah she says would you settle for a pg-13 relationship and you're just like oh my god like so many things have happened <laughs> i know i know very emotional yeah that whole sequence is just really really strong there's some other problems with it like the voice changer is so like it's impossible the one from the first movie it makes sense and they do the thing where when Stu is talking into it and you see that it's Stu, you also hear his voice at, at the same time like they make it seem like okay I I get this voice changer like this makes sense and then in this one they have this one that can like imitate any emotion on anyone's yeah. voice like they he even has how does he have Maureen's voice that's what I was saying how did the other ones maybe make sense because you know they've been like in interviews or whatever but it would still it would still sound like Sydney don't go back in there like it would be like... yeah especially because of the technology at the time if it was now it would be different but back then well he's supernatural so I guess he can just make his own his own voices stabbing him won't work shooting him won't work yeah that that was the part that really bothered me it's a little bit of a weird line between like obviously the first time she sees her mother it's a dream because she wakes up and then the second time you're like wait is this real what's happening. Yeah, I wish they had made it obvious that like she was having hallucinations, like maybe they could have had her see something else or because you do kind of because sometimes in these franchises, they do go off to that kind of territory. So even if it was just a slasher before, like they'll go into like Halloween does that Friday the 13th has a girl that has telekinesis, like they'll go into different supernatural territories. So I feel like that does kind of cheapen the movie a little bit because you're like, wait, is it is she seeing a real ghost? Like is is this going to be the kind of movie where, okay, now her mother is actually haunting her or what? Like it's kind of – it's just not at the level that we 
need it to be. Yeah. What do you think of Kincaid? I like him. I do like him because he, I think he really is, he's in it to protect Sydney. That's literally his one goal. I mean, not just protect Sydney, but get this guy, you know, get the killer. Mm -hmm. And when he, I mean, even after everything he goes through, he still shows up at that house. He knows that she went there to the party. He figured out that, that she would be there. He gets all beaten up and everything, but he never stops. He never stops. He just keeps going until until the very end and you're like is he gonna survive and then he does and you're like oh that's so nice <laughs> tell him yeah i like him and i like his partner too who's like really deadpan oh my god i love him he's so funny i know i like when gail is that because they keep like kicking gail out and then she's there and he's like yeah i'm gonna go dust for fingerprints with jane Pauly. <laughs> <laughs> um i feel like i I feel like I recognized his voice, but I don't know if that's something that I'm making up. He's one of those actors that you know is in a lot of stuff, but you can't, like, name him. A lot of Scream fans think Kincaid is such a throwaway character, and, like, I don't think he's, like, essential or anything, but I like the idea that a cop um, or a detective in L.A. would be very movie savvy, too. Like, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and he also said that he's the one that always does the, you know, he's familiar with that studio, so that's why he's the homicide detective, like, for that studio, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, I meant to say before, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. <laughs> when they go to John Milton's, uh, like, office or whatever, they are talking or whatever, and he stands up and they show him standing in front of the window, and there is a diving board. <laughs> It's literally a diving board with, like, not handles. What's the right word? Like, with railings. Mm-hmm. But he's up on, like, the fifth floor of a building. <laughs> Why does he have a diving board? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I never noticed this myself, so I can't even picture it, but I was listening to a Scream podcast episode, much like this one. And they mentioned it. And I was like, what? And I guess it's just because he's like an extravagant weirdo. Like, I don't know. But they are over what I think is like Echo Park Lake or one of those. So maybe it's like a joke that he's going to dive into the lake. Like, that would be impossible. I mean, it would be possible, but it would be death. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. But good catch because I've never I need when next time I watch it, I'll notice it. But I never noticed it myself. I really tried to notice a lot of like weird things. Oh, I loved when they drove up on the set and um, Kincaid's partner goes, he says something like, watch the fucking aliens. <laughs> and then also the totally not a reference I got at all for a very long time. But uh, when those people are doing the tour of the, of the lot and Jay and Silent Bob are there. And as an adult, now that I've actually seen that movie, I'm like, this is so odd. Why did they do this? It's because... Um... Well, have you seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? Well, yeah, now I've seen it. But, you know, when I had first, the first couple of times I saw this movie, I had had no idea who they were. Yeah. I just think that's funny how, like, they go to Hollywood in that and they somehow, I don't know why. I mean, I guess it is both, it's both Miramax. And Wes Craven is in that moment, too. Yeah. (laughs) I have a lot of other things. Let me see. Well, Randy. (laughs) Just Randy. Just Randy. He looks so cute in this one, too. Oh, I miss him. He said the concluding chapter, and I laughed really hard. <laughs> and nobody knew why I was laughing. He said a preponderance of exposition. 
<laughs> and I really liked that phrase. And then I, as I was watching it, I was like, this is a preponderance of, ex- of exposition. I was like, there's a shitload of exposition in this movie. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like at the end with Roman, like during the showdown or whatever, and he's in the body bag, like he's in the bloody body bag. Why? <laughs> yeah. So expositional. Why? Why? It's just, it's almost the same thing as like Sydney dressing up in the ghost face costume. Why? Yeah. If you um, if you watch that whole the whole house scene, like there's no way that he could have done that. Like it makes it seem like there has to be two killers. So I think that was from the original draft of the script where Angelina was there too, because like he can't like he literally pops up, um, like he's outside and then suddenly. He's inside and things like that. So, like I said, they're not they're not as um, sharp on this one, you know. Like Kevin's not the writer, yeah. so I feel like it's a little off. Or a, I, don't know. A lot I still off. think I like it better than most people do. I oh, I fucking love it. I hate when people hate on it because I'm like, there's so many brilliant things. Even just them being on the back lot, like they've been talking about movies this whole time. Like now they're on a back lot. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, I just love the whole like back to Woodsboro theme, going back to the past, revisiting all of this stuff. I just really like that. I I don't know mm-hmm. that it makes it in it endears it to me. Like it it makes the movie endearing to me. And it's stab three, so I guess like because the first stab was about based on Scream, the second one is based on Scream two, and the third one they're making like that's another like meta prequel, kind of. That's another meta thing. Is like they're they're making it while the movie that's supposed to be inspiring the movie that they're making is playing (laughs) yeah it gets confusing because at first i don't know i don't know what i thought stab three was but i and then when i was watching it this time i was like so it's totally different actors because the the originals didn't want to come back Mm -hmm. but why are they back in woodsboro and then i realized like you know sid's mom I guess it's her like murder scene there. So I was like, I mm-hmm. guess it's like a prequel kind of situation. Yeah, that's what I think it is. It's what happened in the like if Scream, um, it's like an it's like the year before. That's what I've been trying to say this whole time. It's the year. It's like <laughs> it's based on like the year before events. So probably like I don't know, probably like a year and a half. Probably starts a year and a half before the first Scream. But yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Because they don't have the events of another murder spree. So they have to invent something. So they're going to go back. Like, just like, I mean, so many real movie franchises do these exact things, you know? Yeah. I was looking at all of the things that I said about it clearly being Roman. They say, well, first of all, I I said, do we already know? Because the precinct was was ransacked or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he goes, someone who's working on the film is trying to find Sid. And I was like, well, who the fuck would you think that would be (laughs) besides the director? They said they didn't know which script the killer read, so they didn't know who was going to be next. But it doesn't matter which script the killer read because the killer is the director. Oh, that is such a good point. I never thought of it like that. The director has all of the versions of the script. Oh, my God. That's so smart. I never even thought of that. And then also, um, he's rewriting the movie. And I was like, because it's the director. (laughs) (laughs) I just kept like getting mad. I love what you said about the ongoing theme of like, is there another fucking rewrite? Because that's what they had to keep doing with Scream 2. Like, again, it's it's referencing itself. Like, they had to rewrite Scream 2 because the original script leaked. And I think that's the one that had Derek and Hallie as the killers. Um, And then they released um, different versions of the new script to all the actors just as 
the script that they were working with because if one of them leaked it wouldn't necessarily yeah. be the real one like and they're referencing that in scream 3 like it's just so freaking good yeah it makes sense um i kind of want to cry about it and i said also that um I said several times, I was like, where is Roman? Doesn't anybody think it's weird that Roman is never around? He's the only one that's not around. And then I said, um, Ghostface is obviously someone who knows the set. Oh, yeah. And the same thing, it was like that with Stu, too. Because when Stu, it was clearly Stu, because he and, uh, because Billy and Sydney had just had sex. And Ghostface is running around. And he's, he meets, he, like, Sydney tries to run away and he meets back up with her, like, out of a different door. And I'm like, well, clearly it's Stu's house, so he knows. Yeah, and if you're if you're paying attention at the end of Scream, you're like, okay, like, who have we not seen in a while? Who's not dead? Who, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Mm. Um, and then also what Roman said when he was in Milton's office, he goes, I don't even know what a pariah is. <laughs> I think <laughs> Roman's funny. Is. I I think his I think his um like again like you were saying with Jill like his acting like pretending not to be the killer is funny like when he goes someone is trying to kill my movie like he doesn't even care yeah. that like people have died he's like someone's trying to kill my movie like he plays the perfect like just obsessed like Hollywood director trying anything he can't like like Jennifer like just trying to get anywhere in the business and remind me not to sleep with him again. <laughs> oh, and then um he i noticed that when they were when they walked into his office into milton's office uh they he was only there for like two seconds before he he walked out and they said something about rena reynolds and he just goes rena reynolds and then he kind of just walks out <laughs> and then at the end i get so mad and i just like i just keep getting madder and madder as the time goes on through scream three and scream four why does Sydney and Dewey, why do they both not shoot people in the head? Why do they continue to shoot people literally like over and over and over and over again, like in the chest? <laughs> shoot them in the head. If you're trying to kill them, you got to shoot them in the head because not only is the killer supernatural or whatever, everybody's wearing a fucking bulletproof vest. Shoot them in the head. If you think they need to be dead right now, you got to do that. End. Yeah, by the end by the end of Scream 3, they should be should know getting right this now. message. And the other thing that made me mad is by this time all three of those people should constantly be carrying a gun. Oh yeah, of course. That's why I love in the in the new trailer. The, the new what she says in the new trailer like I'm Sydney Prescott, of course I have a gun. Yeah. Come on. I love the whole, like, that they have this big, like, Scooby-Doo mansion to run around in for the end. Like, yeah. I think that's so fun. Like, the secret, how they literally have, like, in Clue, like, they have the, you know, the bookshelf that one of the books opens the opens the passage and, everything, like, all that kind of stuff is cool. And I think it's really frustrating and good, like, the scene where Dewey and Gail are trying so hard to, to find Sydney and get in there, but they can't find which book it is. And they're just, like bumbling the whole time out and they're trying the whole time like you can hear them yelling for her and stuff during the whole thing and then they finally um they finally find her and there's this like very idyllic weird like Kincaid didn't have to be there like I felt like when they like this idyllic ending of you know he like has a sling on his arm and he has the popcorn and he's like hey we're gonna oh watch my God, a movie I hate that I hated that <laughs> it's, it's really weird like it's not it's just not like he doesn't she doesn't need a love interest it's fine like she can just be with Dewey and Gail like it's 
all good. Uh, I realized when that was happening, um, when Dewey and Gail are trying to get into the room, they don't even know who the killer is. I know. Isn't that weird? It is weird. They don't even know. They're probably not even thinking about Roman because they think Roman's dead in the basement. Exactly. She even checks his pulse and like, I'm like, yeah, did she not? learned how to slow his pulse down. <laughs> We've all been there. I also love when Sydney and Roman are like going back and forth and they go, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> and then they just like start fighting. Yeah, that's good. Like the, it, it already has that brother sister, like. It's almost like he, you know, like yes. she's being too loud or something and he's trying to study and she's like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> it's good. Like I like I said, I don't mind the brother-sister stuff. Like that's fine. It's just the rest of it that I'm like, no. It, especially when Roman, like he's like showing the video that he took of Billy Loomis's dad going into the Oh my God, that was so weird. Hotel and, I, and then I was like, yeah, he's a director. I guess he like films things. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, I'm a director, Sid. I direct. (laughs) uh, I don't even know what a pariah is. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have been recording for like three hours. So what we're going to do is we're both going to see the movie. I'm seeing it tomorrow and Gina's seeing it the next day. And you're hearing this a few days later. So time is a construct. But um, we're – in true Gina and Leah fashion, we used to stay on the phone for hours, so this totally makes sense. We're at like a three-hour recording right now, so we're going to do part two of this episode next week when we review Scream 4 and Scream 5, which we then will have seen, Gina. I'm so excited. I I can't even – I can't even imagine. I literally can't imagine what it's going to be like. I know. It's so hard to – like it feels surreal that like I'm going to go to the movie theater. There's going to be like other Scream fans and like we're all going to – like we're going to watch another Scream and then like the next time I see this screen of mine like that I record on, I'm going to be having seen it Scream. That's so <laughs> weird. It, it kind of reminds me of Harry Potter a little bit like – yeah. The excitement. Kind of when it was all over and then you're like, there's going to be a new Harry Potter. <laughs> but it's not really. Oh my God. Those were the This'll, freaking days. This, this is, I'm just, I'm I'm very happy that they're saying that they're like comparing it to the first one in like quality wise. I like, yeah, I hope they're right. I think they will be. And it, it's not like the reviews are just like, oh yeah, you know what? They made a really solid, good sequel. It was, it was good. People are yeah, like, like it is freaking out. <laughs> just as good as the original. Like that's pretty legit. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast tonight. I really appreciate everyone's support on branching out and doing different topics outside of Jessica and Ashley. And uh, uh, I don't know what to say. I'll be right back. You're not supposed to say that. I know. I hope I don't. I'm worried now. What if you get murdered? I hope. I hope that if I do, it is literally Matthew Lillard doing it. That what a plot I mean, twist. That would be kind of cool. I mean, that wouldn't be the last person that I think would murder you. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, at least you know him. I do. It makes more sense than like, you know, Joe Schmo from Washington State coming to yeah. murder you. Like, that one's true. Jamie Kennedy isn't actually my ex-husband, but I do know Matt. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. Because <laughs> I could totally see people being like, wait, let me look this up. Yeah. Just like how um, everybody said 
that you quit high school to follow Hanson around the country. See, I'm so glad that you're here because I tell people these crazy stories about my life and they're like, oh, (laughs) and I'm like, no, literally like the whole school was talking about how I dropped out to follow Hanson, which I, that is not what happened, but you know. Well, I'm your main source for your, um, eat your Hollywood story, you know. That's why that you would be so good on one of those. And that's what having a friend is all about. Like, (laughs) no, but really like having a friend throughout the years like that, like, there, like, there have been times where, like, yes, we've been friends basically since we were nine, but there are times where we, like, drifted apart or, like, we weren't as close or, like, we didn't see each other for a while or something. But, like, you're the only person that I can turn to and, and be like, remember in Mrs. Sargent's class when whatever – like, that shit is important. Like, history that you have with people is important. And that's why bringing it back – scream is so good because we have these this history with these three characters and we're about to see them again gina Ew. <laughs> i'm sorry that, sneeze. you could you could not have timed that better that was <laughs> i sneeze when i'm excited <laughs> that's not true at all um on that note i have to go do my homework <laughs> yes um thank you again for joining me and we'll see you next time see you soon i'm so excited bye bye Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capriya Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. And follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessica cast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessica cast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessicast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.